That to-do list you have needs one more thing. Chill. It's an easy thing to do. Just crack open an ice-cold Coors Light and chill. Take the afternoon off and binge watch anything. Go to happy hour and stay for a couple hours. Who's counting anyways? Or hang out with just your dog because you've had enough human interaction this week. Whatever you do, do it with a Coors Light. Mountain cold refreshment made to chill. 2020 Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. Celebrate responsibly. Hey, it's Kanzano. I appreciate you making this podcast part of your day. Make sure you subscribe if you want more and leave us some feedback. Away we go. Initialize sequence. Welcome to the Baldcast, a production of John Kanzano's Bald Face Truth. <laughs> BFFT. From the Pac West Center in downtown Portland, presented by High Caliber Millwrights, here's John Canzano with the Bald Face Truth. Is there is there something wrong with my kids? I, I have to ask you this. You know, I've got three daughters, and today was the last day of school. I don't know if your kids have done the last day of school yet or if that's still hanging out there for them, or maybe they were out. If you're in another state, they've probably been out for a month now. State of Oregon, we're a little behind the times when, when it comes to this stuff. But uh, I was told today when my children left school for the last day of school that they did not run and sprint into the parking lot, that they, uh, they did not uh, skip and do cartwheels towards the car. Anna said both of the kids, the younger kids, Came out of school today crying, lamenting that uh, summer was here and that they weren't going to see their teachers and their friends as often during the summertime. And I thought to myself, I've never felt that way. Maybe there's something wrong with me. I can remember the last day of school. Um, you know what comes to mind? Water balloons and shaving cream. I don't know why those things were brought to school by somebody, but people used to... Uh, spray the shaving cream and throw water balloons it was like a party was going on the teachers like they'd say don't let the door hit you in the backside as you're going off into the summer uh my kids are into summer that means i'm into summer i was just talking with a uh a reporter who was peppering me with questions right before i I came on air here and and uh, he was asking me about doing radio 17 years almost uh, I've been doing this show. And he first of all wanted to know the genesis of the name of the show, The Bald-Faced Truth. You hear it, the BFT, it's become a brand. And, heck, there's a nonprofit organization that was born out of this radio program because once upon a time we just decided, once upon a time being 2009, we just decided, um, you know what, we ought to use this platform for some good. Instead of the tomfoolery and ballyhoo that is normally going on during this show, why don't we uh, why don't we try to help some kids with art, music, education, and athletics? And so the BFT Foundation, the Bald Face Truth Foundation, was born right out of this radio show. And so he asked me, like, what was the genesis of the Bald Face Truth? Like, where did you come up with the name of the show? And I'd like to say that, like, I'm some genius marketer, that I had the name of the show before I had the show, but I did not. Uh, day one of us going on air... We asked for listeners, you guys, to call into the show and give us suggestions on what the, uh, the show could be called. Now, I had made appearances on other radio stations, 
I had throughout my radio career in covering Fresno State as a columnist at the Fresno Bee and covering the NFL and Major League Baseball for the San Jose Mercury News and uh, covering Indiana basketball, covering Bob Knight, uh, Notre Dame football as a beat reporter, Purdue football, uh, all the way back to my time at the Santa Cruz Sentinel covering girls water polo and beach soccer and whatever else they're doing, uh, the banana slugs are doing in UC Santa Cruz and uh, all along the way, uh, I had done radio interviews, but I did not have a show of my own until coming to the state of Oregon. In fact, the genesis of this show and the station that is the flagship station of the network in located in Portland was the Blazers getting the number one overall pick in 2007. Now, the Blazers are going to have a big decision to make on draft day coming up on June the 22nd, a week from tomorrow. But, uh, or is it a week from today? For crying out loud, where are we at? It's a week from today. I've lost track of my time. Where is it gone? But the Blazers are going to have a decision to make, nevertheless, next week. And uh, this uh, radio show was born essentially from the enthusiasm that came from the Blazers getting that number one overall pick. The ball bounced their way, and it was honk once or honk twice. So you remember the billboards and all that conversation. And uh, i got to give some credit to... Tim McNamara, who was running Rose City Radio back in the day, he had a station called 95.5 Jammin'. You may have listened to Jammin'. It was a hip-hop station. And uh, one, one, one morning, one mid-morning, uh, during 2007, that station flipped. It flipped uh, formats from hip-hop to becoming sports radio. And I will never forget a couple things. Like, when, when a radio station flips formats, it's tricky. Because, you know, I have been part of several format changes or at least signal changes on this show because, you know, we've gone from FM to AM to FM to AM. And, you know, I've been been on air when that happens, when you literally flip the switch and the listener's guy has to go, hey, I need to change the channel if I want to keep listening to the show in real time. But when you launch a station, you're starting from scratch. And... Uh, you know, what I didn't think about that very first day was that we were going to be walking in seconds after that jamming uh, hip-hop station went off air for good. And it was a sad moment for the people that were part of that station. And I'll never forget the gracious star of that hip-hop morning show, PK, who was uh, a friend of mine, uh, him saying, hey, look, uh, we're going off air. You're coming on air. And he was very gracious about that moment of truth where they were essentially packing everything into cardboard boxes as we were playing the show open for this radio show that was going to start. And, and uh, you know, I, I, people were popping champagne. I told this story the other day, uh, you know, as we were sitting around talking, and people were drinking champagne and toasting. And, and then I was kind of watching the hip-hop people, and I was going, hey, we, better, we should not be drinking champagne in their faces here. Because, you know, that's going to happen to us one day, too. They're going to hand us a cardboard box one day, and they're going to say, hey, time for you to go as well. That just happens. You don't get a cake in this business, right? People get a cake, and they get a retirement. You don't get a cake. I'm not a cake guy anyway. I got no cake when I, when I abandoned the newspaper uh, business and jumped onto the pirate ship that is johnconzano.com. They gave me no cake. You know, they uh, they shook my hand. I hugged a couple people, and I said, uh, you know, I wish you the best, and 
Now I'm going to go and uh, do what I do. And in in this business, we start that initial show, and we solicited the name of the show from a caller. It was one like we said, what, what should we name this show? And a caller came up with the bald face truth, and it works. I have no hair. I'm bald. The show is kind of matter of fact. Like sometimes the brand of a show has more bite than the actual show has. And I think sometimes, you know, people like to brand things as being, uh, you know, more opinionated or more decisive. I think what really makes this show work is that it's intimate. It's it's authentic. It's uh, a conversation with you, the listener, very much like the writing. I think there's synergy like never before between my writing and this radio show for those reasons, because it is a very intimate, real, authentic conversation that we are having every day on the show and so uh that name of the show stuck the brand of the show stuck i'm excited that we uh, have continued to do this show uh, you know i don't know if you caught the news but uh uh signed an extension of this show so you're stuck with me for the foreseeable future and and the cool thing was the reporter that i was talking with before the show was just asking me about you know the genesis of the show and places that i've worked and you know, peppering me with a lot of things that I've forgotten. And what I realized in having this conversation was that this show is now an amalgam of every experience and every mistake and every learning curve that I encountered, whether it be at newspaper, television, or radio. You know, people say all the time, you hear this from youth sports coaches, you got to specialize. Coaches want you to specialize because they want, you, they want control of you. They want you inside their program. Uh, they don't want you off playing other sports. They don't want you uh, interacting with other coaches who might convince you that you don't need their sport. I think coaches that are good youth coaches encourage kids to go play and do everything they can possibly do. The data for the NFL draft supports that. You have a number of athletes that are drafted every year in the NFL, the first and second and third round, who are largely multi-sport athletes who have developed athleticism. Hell, we had Tom Crean on the show yesterday, basketball coach, Final Four, 400 wins at the college level, three different programs as a head coach, assistant coach for a, a program that, uh, you know, won a national championship. And and he, uh, you know, he even said that, that, you know, you got to develop your athleticism. You want to be a complete, well-rounded player. And there's some athleticism you, you that he encourages people to develop that comes outside of basketball. I think it's a very healthy mindset. I have the same mindset when it comes to the skill set for this radio show. And I tried to apply that logic as I was talking to this person before the show. And I said, listen, like, you know, back in the day, it was radio. That was a separate thing. And it was writing a column. That was a separate thing. And it was TV. And that was a separate thing. And you know now, you have watched all of these things try to do everything. Newspapers are trying to do podcasts, not very well, but they're trying. Uh, you know, TV stations are trying to do the written word, not very well, but they're trying. And radio stations are doing video and audio and the written word. And, you know, it's just become this everything everywhere. But I think the things that I learned in becoming a better radio show host, and, oh, yeah, if you go back and listen to the shows from 07, 08, 09, I wasn't very good. I was a newspaper guy trying to do a radio show. I got better. I dropped a lot of the formatting of the show. We are very free-flowing. I Like today, I sent uh, Stephen and Judah and the staff, uh, you know, here's who we're going to have on. We're going to have Dick Oldfield, the, the NIL collective king from Oregon State, the Damn Nation collective in the news in the last two days. We're having him on the show here in the 3 o'clock hour. 
Uh, we have a couple of benchmarks within the show, like the big splash that we do every day and punch it audio. We got the five at five. And guess what? The rest of it is this. It's us having a conversation. It's you calling into the show. Very free-flowing. We're going to talk about what the Blazers should do. We're going to talk about whether or not Oregon State's NIL collective is the real problem at Oregon State or not. We're going to talk about why it is that the big collectives, the big NIL collectives that are most successful, never say a word. They don't pop their heads up. Why? Why are they so quiet? Why are they so secretive? Uh, I, I have questions about that. We're going to talk about the NFL, Major League Baseball, and other things. But before I get to any of that, I, I, you know, it's the skill set that I have learned and developed in doing this show that has helped me with my writing. And it's my writing that has helped me with this show. And it's 10 or 11 years of doing KGW on TV that helped me with both things. And so, you know, you hear people say ridiculous things like, you know, if you aren't really working at one thing, then you're not going to be good, really great at anything. And I take offense to that. Like, I think the show, for some reason, they keep inviting me back. And, and I see the numbers on johnconzano.com. I have more people reading me than ever. And it's inspiring to me. It's humbling to me. It's inspiring to me. I think you can do more than one thing and do it well. Now, you don't want to be multitasking while you're driving a car. It's not what I'm talking about. You don't want the pilot of your, of your 747, you know, playing uh, words with friends, you know, so to speak, if anybody's still playing that game. You, know, you don't want that kind of multitasking, okay? You don't want to be operating heavy machinery while trying to uh, do a crossword puzzle. That's not what I'm talking about. But I do think that you can develop different parts of your skill set just like an athlete. You and I can develop different skill sets and different things that are transferable to other, other, uh, you know, uh, other endeavors. Like, it's proven. Think about the things that you do well. Think about your weaknesses. Think about, you know, where have you got better? Have you gotten better as a parent? Have you gotten better in your career? Have you, are you in better physical shape? Are there any correlations that you can draw there? I certainly can in doing this show, doing TV, writing a column. I think that there is a big-time crossover. Uh, we got a great show for you today. Uh, we're going to start with the NIL Collective talk. It was the news of the day kind of yesterday as, as uh, the Oregon State Collective is under a little bit of fire. Um, I was critical of Oregon State in print today. Tim Shelton uh, yesterday, he sounded pretty defeated, didn't he? He was uh, basically doing an exit, inter exit interview with a beat reporter who covers Oregon State. Nick Daschle does a great job. And in the hours after his words went public, everybody was buzzing about the exit interview and how he was whining about resources. He was. He was whining. There's part of his act that was just whining. He was complaining about the fact that Oregon State doesn't have the war chest of Arizona and Washington and Oregon. Well, guess what? There are very few war chests that are going to be like Oregon in particular or Arizona basketball or even Washington. In the Pac-12 conference, you know, there are nine other schools, or in this case seven other schools now, after USC and UCLA leave, that are not Oregon, Arizona, or Washington. You know, Washington State's got to figure it out too. So does Arizona State. So does Colorado. So does Utah. So does Stanford and Cal, who have different challenges altogether. So I do think it's weak for Tim Shelton to come out as an assistant coach who's leaving his job and burn the house down behind him. Like, where were you six months ago when you could have had a proactive discussion about, hey, what we need to be doing better in the NIL space? We'll hear from Dick Oldfield, who's part of the Damnation Collective, coming up. And, and, and by the way, 
was Sheldon's objective in going public to help Wayne Tinkle out? Like, Wayne Tinkle at Oregon State, he hasn't been good in the last two years. He was 11-21 and 21 last season. The year before that, coming off an Elite Eight, they were dismal. And Tinkle's come on the show, and he said, hey, I made mistakes. Mistakes were made, misfires in recruiting. It's not all the collective. They made mistakes. They took some of the wrong players. They did not foster good culture. They did not get results on the court. They lucked into a great freshman player, Jordan Pope, who decided to stay. Like, he could have been a prime candidate to get poached and jump in the portal and go somewhere else. But Jordan Pope's decided to stay. I'm going to give him credit for that, and I'm going to give him credit for the 11 wins last season. But while we're at it, let's not blame the NIL, which is more recently on the scene, for what happened two years ago when they came off an Elite Eight appearance and laid an egg. Like, let's be real about the big picture. Let's be fair about the big picture. The NIL is a question. I want to know, are they funding football and basketball at the same level as other programs in the Pac-12? If not, what's the issue? Is it that you don't have donor support, alumni support at Oregon State like you have at some other places? Or are they funding football but not basketball? Because it's weird to me that you've got an assistant coach in men's basketball belly aching about, you know, hey, we, you know, we don't have the money, we don't have, you know, it's very difficult to compete, while you have a football program that's not losing hardly anybody in the portal. Football program has the same NIL. So is the Damnation Collective backing Jonathan Smith in the football program but not backing the basketball program? I hardly believe that. But I want to talk to Dick Oldfield about it. Give him a chance to have the floor. He's going to grab it in a couple minutes. Steven, you heard all that talk yesterday. I think we were on the same page. I kind of felt like Shelton going public ultimately helps Oregon State because if you're a Beaver fan, you're going to pick up the phone and go, hey, I want to help out. I want to get involved. Uh, you know, We don't want our program to get left behind. Yeah, and, and Coach Shelton really has no reason to lie about it on his way out. Like he, you know, He's not at Oregon State anymore, so he's not really going to hurt the program or help the program in any way. Like he's just telling the truth as he's going out, and I think he did help the program a little bit. Like Just to have this recognized, because especially Oregon State, Right, you know, they seem to be doing a really good job in football, um, and they seem to be invested in that. But when it comes to basketball, there hasn't been any investments. They haven't really been adding much through the transfer portal. They've been losing guys. They haven't been adding guys, and I think this is just you know a sign of the times that hey, you know what, you need to have money invested in these sports to be competitive. And just you know, Coach Shelton said you know they're not willing to put the money in right now. So just to bring attention to it, and then yeah, you know, if you're a fan, if you're a fan of Oregon State and the basketball program, you're gonna be like, you know what, I, maybe I should donate a little bit more to try to get this going because I I love the basketball team. You have seen, we have all seen coaches as they go out the door, do the classy thing. Did Shelton do the classy thing here? Because I'm kind of wondering was was part of his objective to kind of make an excuse for Wayne Tinkle who. Like, we can't blame NIL for Wayne Tinkle coming off an Elite Eight and going 3-28. and 28. Like, that's not the NIL collective's fault. NIL wasn't part of the equation at that time. I don't, I don't know if I'd describe it as classy. I don't think it was a classy move, but I don't think – I think he was looking out for Wayne Tinkle. I think that's what it showed. I think it showed that, you know, he has respect for Wayne Tinkle, what he's done at Oregon State, and maybe feels like he hasn't gotten the fairest of shakes. And so he wanted to do what he can on his way out to try to help him out uh, going forward with the program, but yeah, I mean, you know, I think the classy move would be to not call out anybody in the Oregon State program, but he did, and I think it worked out for the best for the actual basketball program. 
Yeah, Oregon State was not happy with this getting out. You could tell in their release, and I'm sure they weren't happy that I doubled down and wrote about it, but I think in the end, if we're going to be real, and this show is real, that we have to acknowledge, like, I, I have some questions for the collective. Are they funding football differently? Because football only lost six players in the portal. Is football different than basketball? Steven, do you think football is different from basketball from an NIL standpoint? I do because I think just in the overall sense, football can make you more money. If you're in a really good football program, you're going to be bringing in a lot more money for the school. So I do think that it does, you know, there is a difference with the NIL money between football and basketball. But I think for basketball, the thing is, is there's not as many players. And so mm. it shouldn't be as hard to, you know, gather up a little bit of money to give to a, you know, a good player to bring him over to the, to the team. I, I, I don't think it's going to cost him as much because it's just like there's not as many players and you don't have to invest as much money into the basketball program as you do the football program. So it is shocking to me that a school like Oregon State in the Pac-12 isn't necessarily bringing people in through the transfer portal with the NIL money like it, it really shouldn't be that hard. I think I think guys are going to want to play in the Pac-12 level, and if they can get NAL money on top of it, I think it's just going to help. I, and I, I want to go back to the Elite Eight. Oregon State made an Elite Eight. Wayne Tinkle got a $17 million contract extension and then made some bad decisions amid a pandemic. You know, you can tell me. Like, I'll take the explanation that recruiting was tough when you couldn't meet with kids in person. But he had some bad actors and some bad players on a team that went three and 28 that wasn't the portal that wasn't nil that was that was some bad decisions in recruiting now he's tried to pivot and i think 11 wins and jordan pope last season there were some highlights he needs a big one this year or he's going to be in trouble and i think he knows it all right next we're going to talk with dick oldfield he is the co-founder of the damnation collective i'm going to ask him are they funding football differently than basketball? What was his reaction when Shelton uh, you know, goes public and rips the NIL, so to speak? Are they getting less money at Oregon State than other places? Dick Oldfield, next. Are you part of an NIL collective? Do you give as a fan of your program, your teams? I'm going to want to hear from you after the end of the segment. You can start lining up now at 503-417-7575. Our next guest is a former Nike executive who is the co-founder of Oregon State's preferred NIL collective. Dick Oldfield uh, is uh, the co-founder of the Damn Nation Collective, and he's joining us now. How are you, sir? Good, good. Thanks, John. I got to know. Yesterday, you got a uh, huh. you got you got a, a assistant coach in basketball who's kind of going out the door. He throws a grenade over his shoulder as he does it, and uh, and you know what was your response when you saw Tim Shelton going public like that? Yeah, I think you know what I, I think my response was like uh, a lot of people at Beaver Nation, where it kind of came out of the blue. I was actually doing some other work. Uh, for damnation when my phone started blowing up from friends and potential donors and other people just kind of saying, Hey, what's going on? What's your take? What's, you know, where did this come from? And so, um, you know, uh, we had, I'd met him a few times and, uh, you know, loved having him and as, as an assistant coach at Oregon state, but, uh, he had never contacted uh, myself or Kyle, my partner about, uh, any NIL activity directly or indirectly or help or anything like that. So, yeah. And, and you know, could, I'm, I'm struggling with, you know, collectives in general, there's a lot across the country that we don't know. 
and a lot of the mm-hmm. big collectives won't you know really tell you anything about what they're doing they hardly return a call like we don't we don't really know what's going on you know you you co-founded one of these things give us an idea of how it works when you know donors and businesses want to get involved uh you know how do you sort of marry athletes on campus to deals yeah uh that's a great question i mean you know kyle and i got into it started working on it about a year ago and then we launched in november and and one that was you know trying to get there as fast as we could but also uh it, it was a good time to launch uh with the with success of the football program last year so um we're there to help all, all student athletes and and kind of the way it works is yeah, we, we go out and talk to beaver nation and get uh donations any donations big or small so that we can uh turn that money around and and help find opportunities for these student athletes in the ways of uh name image and likeness and and uh for us at at damnation we we spend a lot of time uh, every athlete i meet face to face first and and we spend a lot of time building those relationships so that we can find opportunities for them that uh, are going to help them in the long run. And, and, you know, by that, I mean, not just a quick paycheck, but something that helps them in their major or helps them learn about maybe they want to be a radio uh, broadcaster like you in the future. Maybe they want to be an entrepreneur and have their own company. And so we, we get to know these student athletes and then try to find opportunities with companies and, and uh, people that can help them learn in the big picture for the future. Give us an idea with, you know, being reactive, though, because we're in a space now where there's a transfer portal and, you know, a kid can jump into the portal, uh, get an NIL deal that is associated maybe with another school and be gone, you know, in, in the cover of mm-hmm. night. You get a kid like Damian Martinez, freshman running back in your football program at Oregon State. You know, he rushes for damn near a thousand yards. You know, I got to think his phone's ringing or people are saying, Damian, you can get money and go go to the SEC and Jordan Pope, freshman of the year in basketball. How reactive can you be? Because even though you know you, we talk about you know you want to get something in their major, I I got to think sometimes it just comes down to hey, what can you do for me? These other schools or these other NIL collectives are offering me X, Y, and Z. Have you had those conversations with athletes and kids and families? Well, we have we have a lot of those conversations in terms of. Building the relationships, we, we try to work on opportunities uh, that help them. Now, we, we don't want to work on uh, be bending their ear a lot during the season. We know they got to concentrate on practices and tough competition and school and all that. But, but we build these relationships so that we can help them find some things that are going to help, you know, help them, like I say, in the long run. And, 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 and that also means, like, just doing things like, uh, radio ads or doing things like social media posts around companies or causes that, that they like. It, uh, we did a thing with the Boys and Girls Club in Corvallis a few weeks ago with a lot of athletes just to kind of get out there and, and give them an opportunity to talk to people in the community, play ball with some kids. And uh, and so there, there are a ton of uh, opportunities out there. And again, getting Beaver Nation to step up and help us with these donations in the beginning as we build business relationships is, is really the, the first uh, the first phase of how we get started. Dick Oldfield is the co-founder of Damnation Collective, Oregon State's preferred NIL collective. 
the law in the state of Oregon versus other states, Dick, you know, are is our state up to speed? You know, are you getting enough help legally? Uh, do you feel like the playing field is level or is there work that needs to be done in some areas? Well, <laughs> well, I, I think uh, everybody refers to it as a wild, wild west right now. And I think that's just a combination of you have different states with uh, different rules. And then when you throw in the transfer portal, like you just mentioned, too, that's kind of a double whammy for a lot of kids. So I can't imagine a coach having, you know, a great freshman class or freshman and sophomore class and, and thinking, okay, I've got these male or female student athletes for the next few years to build on. But now what happens is if you get a freshman that studs out, you know, he or she could be getting phone calls all the time. So, um, you know, we, we go into it and we, we I, I think if you can find ways nationally to kind of level the playing field a little bit and, uh, you know, that can come down from, you know, nonprofit versus for-profit LLC uh, that can come down to, do you, can you can you help international athletes find some opportunities while they're there or not? But just kind of set these things all, all the way across. How do you fundraise? How connected or disconnected do you have to be with the university? I think there's a lot of ways where we can level the playing field a little bit that'll, that'll help us all in the future. And I think it'll just help fans kind of understand the process and not just kind of have a bad taste in their mouth about NIL right now. Are you funding football and basketball the same way or at the same level, same enthusiasm? Because uh, I'm watching the football program. They hardly lose anybody in the portal. And I'm watching a basketball program that's got a former assistant going, we can't get any help, the playing field's not level. Uh, you know, are, are these things different? Are these sports different? Is the NIL treating football and basketball the same, different? You tell me. I think uh, at Oregon State, we, we treat all the sports the same. Now, football has a lot more athletes there, and so our funding is larger, uh, much larger in football. Uh, we, we need help. We, you know, what happened yesterday could be a great rallying call for, for Beaver Nation to say, hey, let's, let's help damnation get out there and help more student athletes as we go forward. So, you know, again, our goal is to, to spread across all sports, male and female, at Oregon State, and um, that's tough when you're just starting off. You know, people donate based on what they want to help. We have a lot of people donate just in general, but a lot of people will donate, hey, I, I saw the success of the football team, I want to help there, or, or you know, I saw the success in baseball, I want to help there, and so we, uh, we are looking for help across all the sports right now. The perception that Oregon State is not doing what other schools are doing. What do you say to that, Dick? I mean, Shelton basically said, you know, we're we're uh, we're not in this conversation because uh, the funding's not there, the NIL support isn't there. Uh, how much of that is truth? Well, I, I'm not sure where he's getting all his information. First of all, because he he never did talk to us. I mean, I I think uh, there are fan bases that are probably larger than Beaver Nation, but you know, we've been up and going since November, and I'm really proud of the work we've done so far. So do we need more funding? Absolutely. We will need that, and and uh, we will need that for a while going forward as we build relationships with a lot of corporations and businesses out there, which we're in the process of doing. But in terms of – I never – you know, I don't think Kyle and I went into this thinking 
hey, we just want to be the little guy and help out Oregon State athletes a little bit and, and know that we're going to be smaller than other collectives or other NIL programs, even in the Pac-12 or, or the nation. That's that's not the goal. That's not why we got into it. I think we, we want to help all these athletes, and I think we can. Dick Oldfield is with us, Damnation Collective. You can uh, visit their website if you are moved to do so at damnationcollective.com. Um, I know you guys had the, you know, after the Oregon football game, you did, you know, a, a promotion where you said, hey, give $38.34, uh, sort of, uh, you know, playing on the 38-34 score. I know Oregon State is uh, doesn't have the alumni base or maybe the number of students that, like, Arizona State has. But, Dick, they're playing a numbers game at Arizona State. They're saying, hey, we have numbers. Everybody give $50, and we're going to have a mint to spend. Uh, you know, where are you guys on that spectrum? Because I think sometimes some of the collectives appear to be hunting whales and others uh, appear to be playing strategy <laughs> and going, hey, those recurring donations are, are valuable. Where where are you guys? Yeah, I mean, you know, to exist and get off, we needed some some larger donations to start off with. And we're, we're always talking to, to people or companies with that potential. But, you know, the kind of culture of Beaver Nation is – we're all in this together. And so the, the, the 38-34 special after the rivalry game was great. We, we are looking to do more things like that. Um, we're looking into things like uh, subscriptions or memberships where you can consistently give, whether it's monthly or quarterly, and there's some benefits uh, that you get back to that in addition to just helping these student-athletes. So, um, I, you know, we, we, we think it's a – smaller fan base uh maybe and it, and it probably is compared to some really large schools but there's a lot more people out there i think than we know and so getting getting the word out there uh getting our name out there and then and then painting a face on damnation and oregon state student athletes meaning you know let's not think about some of the ugly stories that people read online that are either true or not true but let's put a face on some of these athletes and the stories and the journeys that they've gone through uh, through these years. And I think that helps, just that alone helps give a reason to help these student-athletes in the long run. Dick Oldfield is with us. Um, you, the response from your collective um, when it comes to, you know, the news of the day, what kind of activity have you seen in the last 24 hours? Uh, we've seen we've seen some good activity. We've seen some return uh, phone calls from a number of people that uh, we were in the process of meeting with. They were they were looking into helping us, and we hadn't just arrived on the final you know final figure final offer, and and uh, immediately got some return phone calls late yesterday and this morning, just saying, okay, uh, I think I feel a sense of urgency now. Let's, let's get on it. Let's, let's talk to you about what we can actually do. So that's, that's been a, a real positive coming out of uh, the, the news yesterday. Basketball program, three and 28, 11 and 21, you know, incoming transfers uh, are going to say, Hey, from an NIL perspective, what can you do for me? They're also going to look at those numbers and, lack of you know continuity and culture in the program and I, I have to think that puts an incredible amount of uh, pressure on the nil collective where do you stand on money for incoming transfers versus money to retain current athletes well it's one pool you know we don't we don't talk to any potential transfers but 
because we're we're up and going, you know, and we have our website like like you shared with everybody. People can when an athlete is thinking about coming to Oregon State, they can now go on to our website. They can see some of the things that we've done with current student athletes. They can reach out to us and call Kyle and and uh, or I anytime they want to and just inquire about what we've been doing with other Oregon State athletes so far so they can have a good indication of, okay, if I do come to Oregon State, these are the types of things that I can do. So uh, I, I think now that we're building a little history, albeit eight months, but yeah. the whole NIL world is not very old right now either. So I, I think you can get a good feeling for um, that there are opportunities. And, and you know, you're, you're coming hopefully for the education, the culture in the locker room, your teammates and the coaching. But uh, NIL is, is a part of it now, too. And so um, we're there to talk to, to people as they um, think about coming to Oregon State. Dick Oldfield, I appreciate your time. DamnNationCollective.com if you want more information. Dick, thank you. Thank you, John. There he is, Damn Nation Collective. They have to play a game. You can hear it. They have to walk that line of not being in contact with prospective athletes as an inducement, but uh, also prospective athletes are going to say, hey, what can your collective do for me? I mean, we've talked to a number of Pac-12 coaches who say, hey, it's not the first thing that recruits are asking but it's like the third thing that they ask after they talk about playing time, facilities, coaching staff, and they go, okay, what about the collective? It comes up early in all those conversations. Um, so, you know, I I do think we've seen something in college athletics that, you know, obviously is groundbreaking. A, we're watching the Big Ten Conference and the SEC separate. They're separating from the Big 12, the Pac-12, and the ACC, at least as a conference, Okay. I'm not saying that Northwestern is better than Oregon or Washington or Utah or you know you're not I'm not saying that. I'm just saying those conferences are getting more money from a media TV dollar standpoint. Then within the individual conferences, you're also seeing a separation of the haves and the have-nots when it as it pertains to not just facilities or not just donor involvement, but the NIL collective's buying power. So, you have more buying power at Washington and Oregon and Utah and maybe Colorado right now, and Arizona when it comes to basketball, then maybe some other schools. And so it really does put pressure on the Cougar Collective at Washington State, the Damnation Collective at Oregon State, the the Sun Angel Collective at Arizona State. They're in that too because everybody's going, okay, we need every dollar we can possibly get to help retain, first of all, and then attract new talent. Because, you know, money talks in, in today's world. I want your reaction to what you just heard. And if you have given to a collective, I want to hear from you. Why? What motivated you to give? Well, you know, and what was the experience like for you? 503-417-7575. Have you ever given money to a collective? Oregon or Oregon State? 503-417-7575. You're streaming outside the footprint. Have you ever given money to a collective anywhere? Uh, have you supported an athlete through a collective? I want to hear from you. I want to know what that's like. Not just from the collectives. I want to hear from regular folks who write checks and go, you know, I don't know what you go. Do you go, I want this to, I want this, uh, to support football, basketball? 503-417-7575. Tim Shelton caused a stir by saying as he was going out the door at Oregon State, headed to Colorado State, literally running for the hills, 
basically said, hey, the war chest here is not uh, not uh, competitive. And he may be right. And people are questioning why he would go to Colorado State, and they're making an apples-to-apples apples comparison with Oregon State. Don't do that. Stop doing that. That's not what it's about. What he may be doing, a couple things. Number one, he's the number three assistant, or was the number three assistant at Oregon State. He was making $205,000 a year in base salary. He may see the runway for Wayne Tinkle, and he may go, hey, there's, uh, there's a ceiling here. I don't think, given the roster we have, that next season's going to be that great. Uh, there may not be much more here for me to do. He might have simply been doing that on his way out the door, and he may have been trying to help Wayne Tinkle by pointing out that, hey, it's not all coaching, that collective not really giving Oregon State a boost. Uh, in, in a basketball sense. He may have been doing that. Now, secondarily, the the ability to go to Colorado State where you're recruiting against Mountain West Conference programs that, you know, when you, uh, when you, uh, you know, look at their NIL war chess are in relative proximity of each other may have been more attractive for a guy known as a recruiter in the basketball space than staying at Oregon State and having to compete against Washington and Oregon. So it's not an apples-to-apples comparison where you can go, oh, my gosh, Colorado State, they're not going to have very much more money than Oregon State. That's not the comparison you need to make. The comparison is what is it like to try to recruit at Colorado State when you're recruiting against San Diego State, UNLV, San Jose State, versus being at Oregon State trying to recruit against Washington, Oregon, and Utah, okay, in Arizona. That's the comparison. Shelton may have just not been up to the job. I don't know him. Never interviewed him. Know who he is. Know his father, obviously, Lonnie. But uh, I don't know. Maybe he just wasn't up for the job. Maybe he's just weary. And to that, I'd be like, suck it up. You were getting paid $205,000. You weren't holding a jackhammer. You know, maybe you didn't do a good job either. Uh, but here we go. Let's go to the phone lines. Uh, you tell me, have you given NIL money or have you considered it? 503-417-7575. Dave is in Salem, Oregon, state's capital. Dave, welcome to the show. Hi, John. How are you? I'm doing well. Paint the picture for us. Help us out. You've given to an NIL. I did. I gave to a couple of players for over 10 years. We've been women's basketball season ticket holders when Katie McWilliams uh, started going there because I worked at South Salem High School, and so we wanted to follow her. And then we just kept buying tickets each year. And so this year uh, we became friends, well, actually the last four years with Noel Manning, and we bought a T-shirt from the Benchwarmers restaurant in Corvallis and had her name and number on the back. So we just wanted to support her. And then I... Her roommate, A.J. Marat, um, number 11 on the team, had a cap from the NIL. So I bought cap with her uh, name and stuff on it just because we wanted to support the team. Yeah. It, so how did that feel to you when you give? Do you have expectations? Do you expect to see your players play? Or do you just sort of view it as kind of a charitable contribution and, you know, uh, let's hope for the best? I would think it was just more like a contribution and support the women's team. Uh, we didn't expect uh, our purchases for a cap and a T-shirt to go very far, but we wanted to support the team. Yeah. Would you Would you continue to give? Like, you know, if Oregon State said, hey, we want to pool the money, we want it to go other places, or Oregon said that, would you continue to give? Or 
how do you view that? I think we would just uh, give towards a player if they had some kind of an NIL um, mm-hmm. project or event or something like that. Um, I wouldn't do it just because someone said something, but yeah. I just more than just support the team. I appreciate you, Dave, in West Salem. I don't think we're going to have the same conversation in Tuscaloosa, you know, or Starkville or Baton Rouge or Columbus, Ohio. I think it's a different animal. D- did you get the sense that – this is what I heard out of it, talking about the difference between basketball and football, mm-hmm. is the timing. The timing of it is that the football team is good now, and so there, people are more donating to the football team than the basketball team, where if they made the, or if they made the Elite Eight last season and Oregon State football won five games, yeah. more people are investing in basketball rather than football. Yeah, and I, I think you're you're hitting on it because what I was just about to get into is like, you know, the SEC fan and, you know, the Michigan and Ohio State fan are different than your typical Pac-12 fan. And that enthusiasm that is born from success at Ohio State and Michigan and, you know, LSU and uh, Alabama and Georgia and wherever in the SEC that is winning this year is uh, powerful. And you're right on the timing. Like, people are drawn to winners and they're drawn to what Jonathan Smith is doing. And so I think it would make sense. And that's why I put some of this on Wayne Tinkle because you come out of the elite eight, Steven, and then you go three and 28 the next year. You can't do that. That, That's brutal. Like that is, uh, you have all the momentum in the world and you come out and you go three and 28. Like you cannot do that. That, That's just, that's tough, man. And I like Wayne Tinkle. I like Eric Revenue, his assistant coach. I like Jordan Poole, who's on that team. I'm glad that he's sticking it out. But you've got to also help your NIL collective by being competitive. You know, it's chicken and egg. What came first? Did your NIL collective get a bunch of donations, or did you win games? And in Jonathan Smith's case, he has built that program and built some culture, and people want to be a part of it. And I, and I just I think that won't ever change. Leave it here. We got the four o'clock hour ahead. Punch it audio is next. I asked the question off the top of the show. I'm still wrestling with it. What's wrong with my children? They were crying today. The first grader came out of first grade. She's now being promoted to second grade. She's crying. Anna says, "What's the matter? Something happened? No, she's just sad. She's not going to see her teacher anymore. Credit to her teacher. Must have done a good job." Then a few minutes later, here comes the uh, third grader. She got tears in her eyes. What is she? What are you going to miss? I'm going to miss my teachers. I'm going to miss my friends at school. Uh, that was not me, Stephen. I was skipping into summer, sprinting. Bell was ringing. I didn't look back. Yeah, I don't think I even said bye to anybody. I was just like, hey, <laughs> I got to catch the bus, or is my parents here to pick me up? Those are the options. Really wondering about my kids today. Doesn't you know? it just show they have they have good hearts, like they care? Yeah. Or is, or is that a bad thing? No, maybe they care, but I'm also, uh, you know, maybe they don't want to hang out with me. <laughs> mm, that, that's true. They're like, oh, we got to hang out with Dad this summer? Man. Yeah. What? I'm. What am I? Chop liver over here? You're not going to see Mrs. Cutler, you know? You're not going to see uh, Mr. Burdell, you know? But, you're, uh, but you, uh, you, you get to see me. A little bit of me time. Uh, that wasn't me, man. Uh, it was water balloons flying, you know? Summer was on. I would, I, even today, when I saw the kids, I started going, School's out for summer. And uh, they kind of smiled. But... Uh, <laughs> But I thought, man, I would have been cartwheels. 
I would have been all over it. Uh, we've talked a lot about NIL. I'm done with it. I'm moving on. But uh, I want to talk about Connor McGregor, Major League Baseball. Rob Manfred said he felt sorry for A's fans. Well, do something about it. You know, my parents always used to tell me, you can cry about it or you can do something about it. Rob Manfred is going to say, hey, you know, I'm, I feel sorry for the A's fans, but I'm not going to do anything about it. Uh, I want to uh, play a little bit of Punch It Audio here in this segment. We'll take some phone calls this hour. Five at five coming up top of the hour. We'll get you covered here on this beautiful Thursday. We interrupt this broadcast with a special announcement from the Bald Fish Truth Headquarters. Hey, we're all about truth, justice, and the American way here, okay? Which is why we've spanned the globe and pulled the top audio cuts of the day. You're going to hear little snippets of sound. Hey, it's time for Punch It Audio. Presented by First Call Heating and Cooling. Well, let's start in the NBA where Kendrick Perkins is talking. Is he spitting truth here? He says the Pelicans need to move on from Zion Williamson. He's been hurt. A lot of hype, a lot of distraction. Kendrick Perkins, punch it. I said this last year that it was time for the Pelicans to move on from Zion Williamson. Okay, you can't trust them. Now, here we are a year later, and guess what? The reason that the Pelicans are trying to move on from him is because of food and his off-the-court issues when it comes down to Zion and what's been transpiring over the last month. And when I say, when I bring up food, we talk about Zion Williamson and we talk about him being healthy. Well, part of his health, we talk about this all the time. It's his diet. When, he's go- when is he going to get in shape? If sometimes he comes into training camp, he is in shape. And guess what? He's not able to sustain that. So what is he doing when he leaves the practice facility? What is he doing? Well, we kind of got a glimpse into what he's doing when he leaves the practice facility. He's not only having issues with physical fitness and injuries, but he's having issues with drama. Uh, drama played out on social media this uh, this offseason between Zion and a former adult actress known as Mariah Mills. Uh, there have been some twists. There have been some turns. I got to admit, I got sucked down the rabbit hole of that thing for about 15 minutes one day, and I was like, what in the what? Uh, but, uh, you know, you have a lot of NBA players talking about bad decisions that young players make. But the problem is this isn't just a young player making bad decisions, having injury problems, and not really contributing on the court. This is Zion Williamson. He's 22 years old. 6'6", 284 is what he's listed as. But this was the number one pick. Number one overall in 2019 a lot of investment and they haven't it has not paid off for the pelicans do you give up on him at this point steven i'm gonna say you don't even if you want to because you're so invested in him and he's gonna blossom potentially somewhere yeah you're definitely selling at his lowest well maybe not as low it could get lower i guess but you're definitely selling low on zion um and as a uh person who is intrigued what the Blazers might do. You know, the rumors are Pelicans like Scoot. They may trade up to two or three. If Zion's available for the Portland Trailblazers, I'm kind of in on it. Like, I, you know, I've, I've been very vocal in saying I want him to draft a player with a three, but a guy like Zion, who's still only 22 years old, he'll be 23 in July. You know, he averages 26.7 rebounds and shoots 61% for his career. And as a 22 year old, that that's insane numbers. I kind of really want the Blazers to go after Zion if they can get it. I'm I'm okay I'm okay with them trading that pick to get Zion Williamson and that's okay, about well, it. Okay, but put yourself in the shoes of the Pelicans. 
do you do that deal? Or if Zion blossoms somewhere else, are you risking a Jermaine O'Neal situation? He's 22 now. He's still young. He's struggled with health. He's struggled with weight. Of course, we're wondering about his judgment, but I kind of think if he were producing on the court, we wouldn't be talking about his judgment. And that's that's the thing is, are the Pelicans just enough, are they just done with it? Because they've seen this for, what, four seasons now, and it hasn't gotten better. It's probably gotten worse since his rookie season. So are they just done with it and they want to get as much as they can? I think if they do, the third pick is not a bad you know, a bad price to get for him. Like just the way his value is right now. And I think if you're the Blazers, like you're shooting for the stars, that's the guy you trade for. That, that guy's never begun to become available unless you draft him or um, something like this happens where he has to be moved out of his, you know, out of his team. So I think if I'm the Pelicans, I don't give up on him yet. I, I still have, I have hope that Zion can turn it around. And I think that he can be a good player. He's just kind of got to mature a little bit. But I, I can understand if the Pelicans are like, you know what, we're done with this. We've seen this for four years and nothing's gotten better. It's gotten worse. I've talked to NBA players, Blazers players, about schemes that the league warned them about when it comes to women in particular. And women that, you know, would be interested in, in trying to have children with players to either extort money from them or just have a connection with them. Uh, this adult actress known as Mariah Mills. This plot twist is not something I planned on talking about on the show, but Andrew Bogut came out and uh, uh, said in a recent podcast episode that the stuff that Zion's dealing with is common in the league. He said, if you think this is a one-off, you're wrong. This is a common occurrence on many teams I've been on. Some know about it, some don't, but this is not something that shocks me. He says... uh, There are girls that he knows for a fact that are on a player's payroll to be a side girl. And he said, once you're paying them, the moment you stop paying them, everybody's going to find out. That's how it works. And and that's why I'm not worried about the off-court stuff with Zion when it comes to his personal stuff. Health-wise, like, yeah. And his weight, yes, of course. He is a little little fat on the fattish side right now. But the personal stuff, it doesn't bother me. I think this stuff happens a lot more than we all expect in professional sports. So... I think if Zion ever just can get healthy and can learn how to, you know, keep some weight off, he's going to be great. Well, I think, too, if I'm the Pelicans, I'm not really uh, I'm not really interested in dealing him unless I get a sweetheart deal. He's the number one pick, and I would worry about him blossoming. I want to give him a little more time. Brian Windhorst, ESPN. He was asked if he were a consultant – what he would tell the Blazers. Dan Patrick and Brian Windhorst mixing it up. Blazers acting like a team that is ready to build around Dame, but will they punch it? As of right now, I think he wants to be a Blazer. I think the Blazers are trying to make moves to to support him. The trades that I have heard the Blazers in negotiations for over the last few days are trades that are centered around building around Dame. If they end up drafting uh, you know, a teenager with the, the third pick next week, I do think Dame could reevaluate and say, what are we doing here? Um, but you're asking me right now at 1131, right now Dame is, is not being traded, nor is he asking to be traded. Yeah, he gets older, they get younger. That's not a recipe for winning anything in Portland. Uh, well, to be honest with you, don't tell anybody this, but the Blazers kind of already started a rebuild. Uh, they tanked the last two years. But why not just number... continue then, Brian? See, this is this is the thing. Like, if you honestly, if they were hiring me as a consultant, 
last year. They drafted Shaden Sharp, who's got a high upside. They have the number three pick this year. You're already halfway there. Sure. You could you could see what the market could get you for Dane. But I also don't have to fill the Moda Center. I don't I don't have to sit there in front of the fans. Um, they have not been competitive with Dane the last couple of years, as good as he is. So I would say, I, if I were them, I would seriously consider saying we've already kind of started the rebuild and what could we get for Dame right now? My God, the, the offers would be robust. Um, but that is not how they are acting. That is not what Joe Cronin, the general manager, has said. That is not how they are acting. They are behaving as if they are trying to build right now around a guy who's been the best player in franchise history. And I, I understand that. Gosh, I like Brian Winhorst. I think, I think he's smart. I think he's tuned in. I think he sees the landscape and he's right. Damian Lillard's great, but the value that he has to the Blazers right now is simply in bringing people to the arena. It's not about competing for a championship. If you pivot off of Lillard, you're going to hurt at the box office. But here's the dirty secret that I'm not sure Dan Patrick or Brian Windhorst or anybody else that's covering this franchise outside in really is in tune with. There's no owner here to piss off. There's no, uh, there's no owner who's going to sit around going, hey, there's nobody in the arena. Uh, our revenue is down. Heads are going to roll. There's, there's just a trustee. There are some parties that are managing this team in Burt Cold and Jody Allen who aren't really vested. They don't have ownership. They're just you know, sitting baseline as if they were the owners. And so for that reason, I kind of wonder how much, you know, a down year and a total rebuild really would hurt the bottom line. But I don't what, think it, you know, I don't know. See, well, I, I took it the other way as if there's no ownership, like what's the point of them trading Dame and alienating some of the fan base that's going to mm-hmm. hurt some of the box, you know, the, the numbers. If they keep Dame, fans are going to come out and they're going to make even more money. It doesn't matter if they're bad or if they make the play. But who's getting that money? Jody's not getting that money. Bird's not getting that money. Like, who, That's you know, true. It's, yeah, it's going I, to Paul's estate. But, I mean, I, I think you are right, though. Like, Windhorse hit it right on the head. Th- those are the options. It's you trade Dame, you're going to lose some of the fans. If you keep Dame, people are going to come to the Motor Center. Those are, those are kind of what it is because I think people – some people are just crazy and think that the Blazers are close to competing. They're not. They're not close to competing. Their defense has been terrible the last four seasons, and you got to be a top 10 defense in the NBA to win a championship. They're not that close. And so I think those are kind of the options right now. And if you think if you can just trade for you know some role players and maybe even another star player around Dame, it's not going to work. You're not going to be a contender. you got to explore all options. This is crazy that people don't think you should even explore talking about it. Yeah, it, it, uh, and what Winor said, look, they've, you know, they they're in a quiet rebuild right now anyway, so you know maybe they just don't tell Damian Lillard. They draft Scoot Henderson and they say you know we're we're still uh, exploring building around you, Dame. We're still building around you. Just keep telling him that. Can't you do both these things <laughs> at least him, for just, another six months? Just tell him what he wants. Just tell him what he wants to hear. Yeah, yeah Dame. You know we're still building around you, but we're gonna draft another nineteen year old that plays your same position. You know, I mean, figure it out. Here's somebody asked me today what I think the Blazers are gonna do a week from today, and I said. I think there's going to be a bunch of smoke, a lot of rumors. You know, the Blazers potentially involved with this team, that team, for a trade at three. It's going to be a lot of that hysteria, but no action ultimately. And I think they will pick the best player that's available, either Scoot Henderson or Brandon Miller, whoever's there at three. They will draft, and then Joe Cronin's going to come out afterwards, and he's going to say, here's my prediction. Joe Cronin is going to come out afterwards, and he's going to say, we really explored deals for the number three pick we didn't have anything that made it a no-brainer 
and we'll continue to attempt to build around Damian Lillard, but right now we think we've got a hell of a player at three. And I think that's the way they're going to play it. And I think I think that's the best strategy, to be honest. Like, I think that's the best the best direction of the franchise right now is to make that draft pick. And you don't want – because you don't want to – you don't want to miss on this draft pick. If you trade it and it doesn't work and you're really, truly trying to build around Dame, you lose this number three pick, that, that could set you back for years. Adrian Wojnarowski, ESPN, evaluating the value – for the number three pick, punch it. I don't know right now that there's a player out there that the Blazers could justify trading for, who's available, that they could get at number three that would justify giving up a potential all-star level player at that spot. And if that player doesn't become available, they're going to be very comfortable picking at three. Yeah, I agree with Woj. I think, you know, I, I'm about 85% that they're going to pick at three. And they're going to take that player and keep that player. And, you know, Stephen, I think you and I agree it is it is kind of the best thing to do because you, you start to rebuild and you keep Dame. And I think then you evaluate how unhappy is he and what is the market for Damian Lillard as you move towards, you know, the season and then the February trade deadline. And even if Dame is upset, you're still going to get some draft picks for him. And then you're rebuilding yeah. with your draft pick this year and Shane Sharp, which is not a terrible spot to be begin a new you know a new era of Trailblazer basketball. Uh, Jake Fisher, Yahoo Sports, he came out and said that the Jalen Brown rumors, the Portland have all but kind of been dead now. Like that's not going to happen. So you know I, I think you're right. I think it's it's kind of sounded like a lot of smoke. And then at the end, the Blazers are going to be uh, just you know be able to use that pick at number three, and that's what they're going to do. It's kind of what they do. I mean, they've done it. Neil O'Shea perfected that. Nikola Jokic. He said after he won the NBA championship, he wanted to go home. He didn't want to stay for the parade in Denver. Now he's at the parade. He changed his tune. Punch it. You know that I, I told that uh, I don't want to stay on parade, but I f***ing want to stay on parade. This is the best guy. This is amazing. This is... Uh, we're all going to remember this the, our whole lives. And... Uh, and when we see you guys that uh, came out on the streets, and uh, actually this one is for you. We love you, Denver. This one is for you. Thank you, guys. Love that guy. He's very likable. He's going to own that city. If he keeps this up, he's on his way. NBA champion, multiple MVP, Nikola Jokic. Dan Orlovsky talking about the NFL. Bryce Young and the Panthers. Orlovsky loves Bryce Young. Punch it. I mean, usually with rookie quarterbacks, you're a little bit hesitant of how much of the playbook you can actually give them and really what they can handle determines how much you can do offensively as a team. There's no issue with this young man. His ability to, hey, we could give him all of our protection rules and he'll handle them. We could give him the ability to change plays. He can handle them. He could kind of control some of the route concepts that we want to do at the line of scrimmage. Like, that is very rare for a young quarterback to be able to do. And then, so brain. You yeah, his, you like his, you like his, his ability to – that's processing to me, yeah. right? Like, yeah. hey, we, we give you this play. These are the problems with these plays. Can you handle all that? And I think the second thing is he is so proficient running RPOs, so proficient with the ball distribution that it's going to allow them to be good in the yards after the catch world. Look, uh, he, you know, a lot of questions about Bryce Young coming out of the draft. At the combine, he measured 5'10 and 1 eighth inch, not even 5'11. So everybody wondering about his height. I, that's not going to matter if he wins games. The win total this season for the Panthers, interestingly, is 7.5, Stephen. 
seven and a half wins. And I think his season, you know, if he's healthy, he's in the lineup, and they win eight games plus, I think people are going to go, great first season for him. If he's not healthy, if he gets hurt, people are going to point to his size. He's undersized. If he has trouble playing at that size in a a league that is built for big people uh, and they don't get to seven or eight wins, then I think people are going to put it on Bryce Young. Uh, But it's really hard when you are a quarterback who is drafted early in the draft and you're handed the keys and people say, save us, save this franchise. Um, it's, uh, It's difficult, man. It's a really difficult thing. They have a favorable schedule. But um, you know, they you know they got a quarterback now, and they're going to need to find a run game. And uh, but the problem I see with him is very similar to when Marcus Mariota went to Tennessee. I don't see like superstar wide receivers, yeah. and, and I think that's the problem for him. But the the one positive thing about the Panthers is their division isn't very good, right? With Tom Brady retiring, are the Bucks and Baker Mayfield really good to be contenders? No. Are the Saints with Dennis Allen, he's never been a very good coach like Derek Carr. Are they really like an elite team? I wouldn't say that either. Then you got the Falcons who are, I think, is a mystery. Desmond Ritter, Bijan Robinson, like they're very young. Are they ready to take the next step? I think if Bryce Young is somewhat good, like the Panthers may win eight games, like you said, John, and they may win the division, which is kind of crazy to think like that's how bad the division is. And they, you know, they tried to put some guys around him Miles Sanders, Adam Thielen's there, but I don't. I just didn't see this out of Bryce Young when he was at Alabama. Like I know he made some good plays, but I agree. But Alabama had so many good players. I, I don't see this coming out of you know he's going to step in day one and be a really good player. I, I just I don't know what Orlovsky's seeing in him, but I mean he's acting like he's going to be a Pro Bowler right from the get go. I just didn't see that out of Bryce Young at Alabama. Yeah, I, I and he, maybe he's one of those guys that made it look easy. I don't know, and I could be wrong. I had I felt the same way when he was at Alabama, and and and. I got a lot of criticism. I did not have him on my Heisman ballot for that reason. And I was surprised to see him taken by Carolina there because I thought, gosh, well, maybe I'm wrong. Maybe maybe he will be like the next great quarterback. And, he, you know, maybe he will be part of what Alabama gave Alabama success. But I'm looking at Thielen at wide receiver, DJ Shark, Terrence Marshall Jr., his tight end, Hayden Hurst. It's underwhelming to me, that supporting cast. It feels like, you know, I remember when, when uh, you know Mariota went to Tennessee and he had Delaney Walker and nobody else, and I thought, ooh, it really makes it really difficult. puts a lot of pressure on him, and uh, we'll have to see what what happens in that offense. But uh, I'm not anticipating a big season from him. Justin Herbert, he says uh, the role of a quarterback is uh, is to be there for his team. Is it is is it possible that Herbert? could hold in, not hold out, and not be there with his team as they do workouts and prepare for the season. Punch yeah, that'd, uh, you know, that'd put you quite into the deficit. Um, you know, I think that we've done a great job so far of picking up the offense and, and doing exactly what Kellen's asked for us. Um, but when it, comes to, when it comes time to camp, um, you know, the role of the quarterback is to be out there for his team and, and to do everything he can to, to put that team in a position to win. And I understand that responsibility. Um, so it's something that you'll address when the time comes. But uh, I guess we'll see. He's got about 40 days before training camp starts July 26th. Uh, talks are ongoing, but, you know, reporters asking him basically what he missed practices, uh, you know, if a deal isn't reached by the start of training camp. And I think he's got the right approach. You, you, you got, need to be patient. You need to trust your agent that they'll do the job. 
but he and Joe Burrow are both likely to cash in between now and the start of the regular season. Both were picked in that 2020 draft. Uh, both of them could get deals that eclipse what Jalen Hurts got, $255 million, and Lamar Jackson, $260 million. Both those guys signed earlier this year. But, you know, Herbert, second in the league in completions, third in the league in passing yards, and sixth in the league in touchdown passes in the last three seasons. He just comes across as such a good leader. And, like, it doesn't seem like he's the type of guy that's like, you know what, I I need this money, I'm going to miss training camp. Like, he just seems like he wants to be there, he loves football. Like, he just seems, I mean, if you're a franchise and you're starting with quarterbacks, I mean, he's in the top five probably. Like, like that's what you want out of your leaders, out of your best players. It's just, it's refreshing to hear that kind of stuff. Like, you know, it it doesn't seem like it's all about the money uh, for Justin Herbert, which is great. That's Punch and Audio. It's the best sound from all around. Streaming. Live sports streaming. How is it different than streaming in other places? The Pac-12 may have to uh, help the streamers explain that. I'll tell you more about that coming up. LA Times had a story today about streaming. They were talking about Netflix specifically, and when House of Cards premiered on the network a decade ago, they, they called it a very expensive lab experiment. Would original programming get people to sign up for Netflix? Uh, remember, um, Netflix, you know, had Breaking Bad. It had House of Cards. It, you know, it had uh, um, it had 25 million streaming subscribers, and it was trying to become HBO. And the LA Times piece sort of, you know, led on that that. People, in some respects, have have soured on streaming. Consumers have soured on streaming, and I do think there's more. Part of it is there's more. There's more competition. You know, I don't know about you, but I dropped Directv, and we got Netflix, we got Hulu, we got whatever HBO is calling itself in the rebrand. Um, I added Paramount because I wanted to see. Um, I wanted to see the uh, Kevin Costner uh, Yellowstone show. Um, uh, we uh, we do a variety of different things. I added Sling during the Pac-12 football season because I wanted to see some Pac-12 network football games. And in the end, um, you sort of add it all up and you go, okay, I, you know, did I save any money or am I just paying a bunch of different people? As you do add-on upon add-on, oh, you had to get stars because you wanted to see that show. Oh, you needed the Disney Channel. Oh, you needed... Amazon Prime, oh, and suddenly you look up and you go, okay, you know, it's getting spendy. And so I do think consumers are being pickier, and if they're not getting value, if they're not getting content they can't get anywhere else, I think they're making hard decisions, right? They naturally are. But live sports programming appears to be different than anything else. And I think Apple TV has recognized that with MLS and now their partnership with Lionel Messi. I think Amazon has recognized that with the NFL and football games. And in some respect, it might be a very expensive experiment for Amazon, but it appears as though Amazon is getting some results and is interested in continuing that experiment with the NFL. The YouTube grabs the Sunday Sunday ticket. And it and we have seen just this pivot in the streaming world with, A, it's become more normalized. More people are doing it. We used to say things like, oh, those millennials are cord cutters. Now a lot of us are cord cutters, okay? Millennial or not. But I got to ask you, Stephen, is sports going to go the way of the other 
streamers, because Netflix took a hit with subscribers. You know, uh, they're just seeing more competition in in the space for for unique content than ever before. And I kind of just wonder, you know, is sports unique enough? Is it an outlier? Is it you know, is it a place these streaming companies can go to get subscribers? Now Netflix is dabbling too with live sports programming, or will it eventually catch up with that genre as well? In your mind. <sighs> I think that it is unique enough that it will get people to subscribe. I don't think that these shows will, but I do think sports is the one thing that people still will pay money for to watch. And it's not going to be a lot, I don't think. I don't think you can, like, overprice them. But at the same time, you know, people still pay for pay-per-views for boxing or UFC. Like, people are willing to pay, I think, for sports because it is that one thing that you need to watch live or that you really want to watch live because it's – not only are you enjoying it at the time of the moment, but you can enjoy it with your friends, whether it's on social media or, you know, get all your friends together and watch it, watch it at the same time. I, I think that sports is still the one thing that and will and will always kind of be the one thing that people will pay a little premium to watch at the at that moment. I think as you look forward to and you look at um, live sports programming. If you are a diehard sports fan, I do think you are wired a little different than than uh, you know the typical consumer. Um, I think that you um, you are a little unhinged in some cases, but I do wonder, like it, the NFL fan, which which sports fan is most motivated to seek out their product? Is it an is it kind of a a niche offering like MLS? That doesn't have broad appeal, but, you know, those people really want to see their teams? Or is it the NFL? Because, man, it's so pervasive. Uh, you know, certainly we can say within college football there's differences. We've talked about them on the show today. Differences between the SEC fan, the Big Ten fan, and whatnot. You tell me. Isn't it just regional? Like, it's all regional for me. For, like, the South, it's definitely college football. But I think if you go, you know, up to the Northeast, they're not going to be worried about college football. They want to watch the Giants. They want to watch the Jets. They want to watch the NFL. I think they're more worried about that. Where you think, I think, you know, you look on the West Coast for the Northwest, I don't really know what that would be. Maybe college football, I would guess. I would think college football would be the one thing that, you know, people would get upset about if they can't watch the Ducks or Beavers. I, I think it's football in general, I think is the number one sport, and I think that's the one that people would be willing to pay for just so they can get to watch every single game rather than any other sport. Yeah, I think football, you know, we talk about popularity. Football has traditionally been a linear sports offering. We've only seen in more recent years it go to streaming services and and point in that direction. But I, I have to think YouTube saying we want the Sunday ticket, that's huge. I mean, that's a huge indicator of, hey, they see audience there. Um, yeah, Amazon saying Thursday night football for the NFL was massive. It was a incredible experiment. Now, it may prove in year season two without great matchups and without, um, you know, the ability to, uh, to uh, you know, draw, you know, a prime matchup to Thursday night that people may go, well, I don't care if it's on a streamer or not. It's not a good matchup. I don't want to see too bad. I don't want to see bad football wherever it is. I don't want to watch it in the backyard if it's bad football. But I am left kind of thinking about the NFL being the leader in that space 
and the NFL normalizing it. But I, I just think as I look at where sports is going to end up, I won't be surprised if sports is a tentpole of all streaming on all platforms. And it has, And I've wondered for some time if Netflix would ever dabble into live sports, you know, and would they get involved with one of the mainstream sports platforms and, and try to dabble in that space? And it appears as though they're at least kicking the tires now. I, I, I'll, I'll argue a little bit with the NFL. Like, I think you say, you know, are people going to watch it if it's not their backyard? I think people are going to watch it no matter what. People are watching the Pro Bowl, and it's getting good ratings. People are watching preseason games, and it gets great ratings. Like, that's bad football, and I don't think people care. Like, they love the NFL. So no matter where the NFL is, I think if it's a streamer, I think if it's whatever, like, they're going to get a big-time number, and they're going to get a lot of people that, yeah, they may complain that they have to pay for it, but you know what? They're going to pay for it because they want to watch, you know, the Arizona Cardinals take on the Jaguars on Thursday night and be entertained for zero minutes, but it's the NFL because they can bet on it. They can have their fantasy team on it. I think that's the one sport that most of sports fans are going to pay for no matter what is just, you know, they need to get, they need to get their NFL fix. I think it's fun. It's a fun debate. It's going to be interesting to see where the PAC 12 ends up in this conversation. I'm still looking at the PAC 12 and and expecting them uh, to come up with some kind of uh, resolution to their media rights conundrum here before the end of the month. Uh, it's kind of where my head is. Uh, and I know that, you know, Kirk Schultz, the Washington State president, sort of pointed to that and hinted at that. But, you know, I part of me is just wishing and hoping it could be done. Like, and, you know, I was asked today, like, okay, what happens if the Pac-12 doesn't do what you think they're going to do? What happens if they implode? What do you do then, Gonzano? What do you focus on then? I, I, I'm like, do do I stop talking about the teams that are in the region? No. You know, it doesn't matter 10 years from now, 20 years from now, where they're playing. You know, they can call it the World College Football League if they want. I'm still probably going to be tuned into what these teams are doing. Like, you know, just change the... You know, change the conversation, I yeah, guess. With, with the media rights, John, I mean, the Pac-12 uh, media, when's that, in July, July 20-something or other? I mean, what are the chances that th- there's no Pac-12 media deal done before that? Like, they have to have that done by that moment so they can kind of push out all the narrative stuff. If there's not a deal done by the end of the month or not a deal done? By, like, by July, by Pac-12 July. media day. Yeah. Oh, media day. Yeah, by media uh, day. Has they, to be don't they have to have something to talk about? I like, mean, if they don't, I mean, then it, that, I think that's that is like the literal deadline we've talked about. There's been deadlines before. I, that yeah. has to be the ultimate deadline. The ultimatum is media Pac-12 media day. If it, that would shock me. If it's not done, yeah. maybe it is imploding. But yeah, that would shock me because you want to use that media day to celebrate your conference, celebrate your teams. Celebrate your programs. And I think, in fact, you can't wait until that day to announce a deal because that would overshadow what you're supposed to be doing on Media Day. Media Day is supposed to be about Oregon and Bo Nix and Dan Lanning and Oregon's defense and Oregon State and Jonathan Smith and whoever's playing quarterback and, you know, Oregon State and Washington and Michael Penix Jr. and Caleb Williams at USC. That's Media Day. Like, get everybody on the stage in Vegas. We're going to have our show there. We'll be live from Vegas. And ham it up, and let everybody kind of feel like, uh, you know, the football is great and alive and well in the Pac-12. We were talking about timing with NIL earlier in the Beavers. Like, unfortunately, for the basketball team, they made the lead eight maybe a year or two early. Like, for the Pac-12 football, like, there is a lot of momentum on the field. And they got to take advantage of that now with this media deal. It's got to be a good deal, and they got to get done by media day. So it's, it's like you said, they can focus on what's actually going to be on the field because – 
this is going to be one of the deeper conferences, if not the deepest conference in the nation, in the Pac-12. And with all these quarterbacks coming in, like there's going to be some really good matchups. There's going to be some contenders for the college football playoff. You got to get all your ducks uh, ducks in a row right now, and, and you got to get the media deal done. I, uh, I 100% agree with you that they have to have it done by July 21st, but I would think you have to have it done well in front of July 21st because you do not want that to be the topic of conversation. I'm still expecting something here by the end of the month, and I know that I have thought, well, it could be Thanksgiving. Well, it could be Christmas. Well, it could be St. Patrick's Day. Well, it could. It, I'm now looking at San Diego State, and I'm going, hey, if you're going to get a deal that's worth a damn, you're going to have to include the TV markets that are Dallas-Fort Worth in San Diego. The, the Yahoos who are in the Big 12 footprint, who are all – wringing their hands and hoping and wishing that the Pac-12 implodes, keep saying, you know, the money's not there. That's that's the narrative. The money's not there. They keep saying that. And I'm going, based on what? Based on, you know, you and the mouse in your pocket that's telling you the money's not there? Like, I, you know, somebody in the room telling you the money's not there? No, I think the money is there. But I think the Pac-12 is trying to squeeze San Diego State right now into taking a lower distribution in year number one so that they can fully maximize it, roping in the San Diego and possibly the Dallas-Fort Worth TV market without paying for it. I've had this thought, John, ever since the Golden Knights won the Stanley Cup and the turnout they get for that. Does that in any way could affect the Pac-12's thoughts of bringing UNLV in? Not this next you know, realignment thing, but maybe down the road, or is the academics just too big of a hurdle for them? Um, look, I think anything's possible in the next decade. Like, I'm really surprised that you know, the, when the Pac-12 gave approval to go out and explore four expansion candidates, I started hunting, right? I started asking sources questions and finding out who these four teams were, and I was told UNLV was not a candidate. That surprised me because I thought, gosh, Vegas is an emerging market. It's a growing market. UNLV academically is not bad. Like, you know, they they could, uh, you know, hold hold a straight face saying, look, you know, you got a medical school and and all that, like, you know, but only 700,000 TV households gets them out of the equation, I'm told. Fresno State, they weren't interested. They were not interested in in part because several members in the conference said, hey, we compete against Fresno State, and the way that they beat Fresno State is they tell recruits, we're in the Pac-12 and they're not. So they're not bringing Fresno State in. Boise State academically did not move the needle for the presidents. I'm told that. They looked at the academic offerings at Boise State and said, eh. They, you know, they hold themselves above them. I don't. I went to a state school in California. I'm not thumbing my nose at anybody, right? I, uh, I'm looking around, going, "Hey, you know what? I think you get a great education at Boise State, or you know, San Jose State, Fresno State, wherever you go." Uh, but that I was told, you know, it was San Diego State because of the proximity and the academics. San Diego State offers offers a medical degree now, and I was told SMU is in the conversation. Of course, we know George Klyovka visited there. I think SMU would come in if you uh, if you uh, you know you could tell them they have to pay their way in in year one. I think they might. You know, I think the boosters and donors at SMU just badly want to be in a Power Five conference, and they know the Big Twelve and anybody else is not calling them. So the Pac-12 has a ton of leverage with SMU. So it's possible that SMU comes into the conference, and is it possible they could pay their way in? I, I don't think that's out out of outside of the realm of possibility in year one that they pay an expansion fee to come into the conference, and the members go, not only are we getting the Dallas TV market, we're getting paid to take the Dallas TV market. Uh, That could happen. I think candidate three was Colorado State, and I think it was a contingency in the event that Colorado 
went sideways. And I think that number four may have been Gonzaga and may have only been, eh, let's put let's kick the tires and see if it pencils out. I don't think it does because they don't have football, but it may have been Gonzaga. That's kind of where that's kind of where I sit today on expansion candidates. All right. I still just Go think ahead. it's a it's a loss to not even consider Vegas. I, I I thought they would because I thought the gaming money would would be would overcome the lack of households, and it's a growing market. You I, talk I about agree, yeah. the fastest growing markets in a country in the country. It it's possible that in fifteen to twenty years, Vegas is a no brainer based on growth, but it's not there right now. And I think the Pac twelve right now is thinking in five year increments. Like okay. Don't do anything that is going to hamstring us in five years. And I think that's kind of where they are right now. And I've, I've, I originally said they could add no teams. I still think that's a possibility. And I said they could add one. I still think that's a possibility. Or that they could add two. I don't think they're going to go more beyond 12. And I think that's kind of where the president's heads are right now. At least that's what I'm being told. All right, leave it here. You got the ball to face truth. Do you ever... Uh, looked at someone and said i wish that person would just go away you know like and i'm not talking about like a family member of yours i'm talking about like somebody in the news you know i wish that person would just go away so you don't have to hear him anymore uh my i wish they would just go away is conor mcgregor conor mcgregor who is uh beating up mascots at nba finals games uh, is now been accused of sexually assaulting a woman after Game Four of the M- NBA Finals. Um, basically, um, a woman is accusing McGregor of violently assaulting her inside a men's bathroom after the Nuggets win over the Heat on June 9th in Miami. Um, basically, uh, um, McGregor. It, you know, of course, through his attorneys, is saying the allegations are false. But I wish the guy would just go away. Conor McGregor, enough, man. I, I don't know where you rank or matter in the sports world. Um, I know he's trying to sell products. But the former lightweight and featherweight champion, most notably known for punching the Heat's mascot and sending him to the emergency room. Now... Apparently, um, he is being accused of sex assault. Uh, And uh, I guess he's working as a coach on The Ultimate Fighter or something like that. But Conor McGregor, go away. Steven, do you have somebody you wish would just go away? I have tons of people that I wish would just go away. John, in sports, um, if we're not going to count, like, uh, sports media people, there's a few sports media people. You can. You can do that. You can do that. Well, I don't want to name names. You can tell me to go away. No, it's definitely not you. Uh, It's another person in the Portland area. I won't say his name. Um. I can tell you off the air. Now, I think for me, there's... Wow, now I'm curious. Oh, I'll tell you later. Uh, there's a few people that I thought of, like, to just to go away in sports. First, my thought was, um, you know, Conor McGregor, great answer. But Antonio Brown is another one. He's been in the news lately. Uh, everything he does seems to be just not great. And, uh, you know, he just he just lost his Arena Football League team. I don't know if you knew this. He was the owner of a team, and uh, he refused to pay. Uh, the, the mm. league basically, and then pay his refused to pay his fines, and the owners had a uh, emergency meeting and kicked him out of the league. So I think Antonio Brown, yeah, uh, he, he's one of them for me. The other one, just go away. Say it, just go yeah, away, just, Antonio Brown. Antonio Brown, just just go away. I want our listeners to call in with their just go away. Five zero three four one seven seventy five seventy five. You got another one? Uh, yeah, 
Uh, Who else? Uh, Skip Bayless, I want you to go away. Uh-huh. Uh, I don't, I don't, I don't care about your opinions because I just don't think you watch sports and you just want to say things and say things. So, uh, Skip Bayless, go away. Who you know who's on my list but isn't official yet? Yeah, because I have a list of like it's the, on the watch you know, list. He's on the watch. It's list. a watch list yeah. for just go aways. Aaron Rodgers, <laughs> just on the watch list. Yeah, yeah. You know he's about one bad season and then him blaming the Jets for it from just go away. Aaron Rodgers. Um, I don't know if you know about this story, but Baby Gronk and his dad. Little, Just go away. Go away. The 10-year-old, go away, please, Baby Gronk and your dad. I I, I cannot stand them. I, I'll, I'll say Tom Brady. Go away for a while. You know, I need a break. We, I, I, need a, I need to have a break. You ever have a friend where you're like, we can be friends, but at a distance for a while? Tom Brady, I need a break. I mean, Bert go Cole, away. Jody Allen, I mean, that was pretty obvious, but go away. <laughs> like, I love this. We've been talking about it forever. We're on to something here. Just go away. I want your just go away. It's 503-417-7575. We'll do some in the 5 o'clock hour. Um, who else could just go away? How about how about James Harden? Are you on just go away time yet for him? Not yet. Not, Not yet. yet. I think it's eh. kind of funny that he chokes in the playoffs still. So, you know, I, I like those type of guys. We've had some moments like Raymond Felton when he was with the Blazers. Just go away, Ray. <laughs> you know, back in the day. Uh, just go away. I mean, do you think... He's yeah. got to be the most hated Blazer in Blazer history. Here's another one. Like, let's just say, because let's say you're the billionaire owner of a team. You can play just go away for real. Like, Paul Allen did that with general managers. He said to Tom Penn and Kevin Pritchard, just go away. Uh, another one Rich Cho, just go away. Another one for me is O.J. Simpson on Twitter. Yeah. He always yeah. comes out and says weird things. Just just go away, O.J. You got away with it. Just Just live your life now. You know, I've been uh, I've been reading up on is this. Uh, you see this guy Dan uh, Bilzerian or whatever his name is. He was kind of the uh, yeah, he was kind of a Paris Hilton, a male Paris Hilton, so to speak. His dad was a you know a billionaire uh, fraudster who went to prison, and then you know I used to see this guy Dan. You know, and I thought he was a poker player because you know he'd pop up and he'd be talking about poker on my algorithm or whatever and Twitter, and then you know he always had like twenty women around him and he looked like he was roiding out, and but apparently it was all made up now. It's turned out that he was uh, he was buying all the Instagram follows and paying for the models, and he never really won the money. He was renting the house that he said he owned. You know, uh, that guy got to just go away. When you're when you're buying Instagram followers, that's an automatic <laughs> go away. Just get away just, from me. Just go away, Dan Bilzerian or whatever your name is. Uh, <laughs> but like the the way I got to know that guy on social media was like all of a sudden there was like this photo of him and he said he was dating fifty women at the same time, and I'm like this isn't going to end well, like you know have you tried is that, one? Is that a brag? That <laughs> yeah. seems horrible. And, and then uh, the story now is there'll be documentaries about this guy for sure because the story now is that he was claiming that he bought a house for sixty five million, but he was really renting the house for two hundred thousand dollars a month and he was billing it to his company which was uh, going bankrupt in the meantime. So he, he claimed to be a Navy, former Navy SEAL or had trained with the Navy SEALs. I mean, he had all sorts of just-go-away moments. Leave it here. Five o'clock hours next. Well, we got a lot to talk about this hour. I love that. Just go away. We're going to do that now. Just go away Thursday. Can we do that? Yeah, I don't, I don't hate it. It's kind of like what's your pee Friday, but it's just more specific of uh, who do we hate in sports. 100%. I got an Oregon State. Uh, I, I, it's interesting. Okay, so I'm writing now exclusively at johnconzano.com in case you don't know, you're listening. But I got a guy today who read my column about Oregon State. 
who's a Bieber fan, diehard Bieber fan, who's saying, you know, how dare you attack Oregon State? How dare you? Just all over me about the column writing about the NIL collective and Tim Shelton, that coach, going out the door. I actually don't think I attacked Oregon State. And, in fact, I heard from several people at Oregon State who said, hey, thank you for writing a very fair and accurate piece on that. Like, that was fair and accurate. And, I'm, you know, and to me, I don't care if people like it or don't like it. Like, I got to write what I got to write. But I also have Oregon fans who will write me and go, why are you so nice to the Beavers? And I have Oregon State fans go, well, why, do you, uh, why are you so anti-Oregon State? And I want to go, just go away, man. Take a step back. Take a breath. Nobody's out to get you. This isn't, you know, Mel Gibson and Conspiracy Theory driving around with 14 copies of The Catcher in the Rye in his cab. You know, just writing what I think. You're welcome to think what you think. We can disagree. But uh, I actually think the, the coach going public yesterday helped Oregon State in a weird way. Now, if I'm Oregon State, I'm not happy about it. But I think it helps when somebody draws attention to your NIL collective. That's why we had Dick Oldfield on the damn show. You know, I said it yesterday. You heard it. It was, it was in the 5 o'clock hour, in fact, Stephen. You know, I'm sitting here and I'm talking about this story. And then I said, you know who we need to get on the show? We need to get that Dick Oldfield character who co-founded the Damnation Collective on get the show. Get on the show. Boom. 24 hours later. Less than 24 hours later. He's there. You tell me who else we need to get on this show, at John Canzano BFT. In the meantime, Stephen is going to take us through the 5 at 5 because Anna's busy consoling our children who are upset about, about summer starting. I still don't know what to do with these kids. Let's do it, Stephen. The 5 at 5. They went to a movie, okay? That's, that, they're getting consoled at a movie. Steven, the number one story as you see it. That's number one, the, the Anna and the kids in the movie. No, uh, <laughs> U.S. Open, John, is uh, round one today at the Los Angeles Country Club in Los Angeles. Ricky Fowler, uh, Xander Shoffley, both shoot a 62. Mm. Between 1895, Smoking. Between 1895 and 2022, John, there has been no rounds of a 62 or lower at the U.S. Open today. Two 62s in the span of three groups, led by Shoffley and Ricky Fowler. Uh, players still on the course right now. Brian Harmon in at third place right now. He's six under par through 11 holes. Rory McIlroy, five under through 10 holes. But U.S. Open setting some records today that has not been seen ever for the U.S. Open. I shot a 62 in the front nine once at uh, Pumpkin Ridge. It was a glorious 62. Uh, no, this is great. I mean, it's great for the... It's great for the tour, especially coming out of what we have seen in the last week. All the conversation's been about everything but golf with LIV and PGA Tour and uh, Monahan, the uh, you know the uh, commissioner of the PGA Tour, having health issues. And so Xander and uh, Ricky, good on you for getting the conversation back to golf with those 62s. Can you keep it up? Number two story is Steven sees it. MLB Commissioner Rob Manfred. John, he had some interesting questions or interesting quotes about Oakland and their fans after the reverse boycott that they've had the last couple nights. This was Manfred's quote. He said, quote, I feel sorry for the fans in Oakland. I do not like this outcome. I understand why they feel the way they do. I think the real question is, what is it that Oakland was prepared to do? There is no Oakland offer. They never got to the point where they had a plan to build a stadium at any site. It's not just John Fisher. The community has to provide support. And at some point you come to the realization 
that is just not going to happen, end quote. That seems like a quote from like a Twitter troll, as Jeff Passan said, rather than the actual MLB commissioner to say those things about Oakland. It sounds like he really wants them out of Oakland. I feel bad. Uh, you know, I, I worked with a guy who's down in Oakland now at uh, 95.7, the score. He's one of the producers. He's been going to the reverse boycott games, loves the A's. You just feel bad when teams are about to move and these, uh, you know, these fans lose their teams that they've been rooting for their whole lives. Tell me that you are in bed with the owners without telling me you're in bed with the owners. Rob Manfred, like, I used to think that the Major League Baseball commissioner, this is how naive I am and how naive I was as a kid. You know, when, uh, you know, Bowie Kuhn was the commissioner of baseball back in the day, and Pete Rozelle was the commissioner of the NFL when I was growing up. And I thought that the commissioner had an obligation and a duty to act in the best interest of the game. That's that's how foolish I was as a kid. I thought Kennesaw Mountain Landis, when he banned the Black Sox in 1918 and said, Shoeless Joe, you can't play anymore, I thought he was acting at the behest of baseball. And I believed that probably all the way through college. I had this illusion that the commissioner in major professional sports was there to serve the game and protect the integrity of the game and you know was sort of this arbiter of of uh, ethics and justice and we now know Roger Goodell is just a mouthpiece for the owners of the NFL and Rob Manfred's job is to suck up to Major League Baseball owners and make them as much money as possible. And we've seen now uh, the Oakland mayor's office, they've pushed back against Manfred's characterization of what he said um, because, you know, the Nevada legislature, they gave the final approval yesterday to provide public funding for the proposed $1.5 billion stadium. So it looks like it's going to Vegas, man. It's just a sad story, I thought. Yeah, yeah, look, it's headed that way. Will it work? I don't know. I, I still feel like, you know, I was a Giants fan growing up. I still am. But I can remember Bob Lurie wanting to take the Giants to South Florida, and it didn't end up happening. The Giants in the 11th hour, the deal imploded. The owners vetoed it. There's still a chance that the owners in Major League Baseball could do it, but does anybody believe that owners are going to, in this era, not the 1980s, in this era that owners are going to vote against other owners wanting to make more money? That's not going to happen. And Bryce Harper, who's from Vegas, he said he, he wishes that they'd get an expansion team rather than move, move the A's. Yeah. That the A's don't belong in Vegas. Just do what the NBA is going to do. Like, the NBA is going to put an expansion team in Vegas. Nobody's feelings are going to get hurt. And by the way, they're going to get $6 billion in expansion fees for it. The owners are going to be the losers. Maybe Major League Baseball owners need to be told that. You know, maybe that when they go to vote, they go, hey, you can have the A's there and you can vote for it. Or you can hold Vegas as an expansion option and... You know, collect about $6 billion. Up to you. And then bring Maybe Portland that changes in, too. Why team. not? There you go. Why not? Number three? Are yes. we on three? Number three. Number three story. Uh, more Rob Manfred news, John. He uh, also came out and said that robot umps will likely not be in the big leagues next season. There were some rumors that it was going to be as it's being used in AAA. Um, but there's been a little bit of issues still with it. They're still defining what a computerized strike zone is should be among one of the big issues now, at AAA this year, half the games use robots for ball strike calls, and half of them have a human making decisions that are subject to appeals by teams by using the uh, computerized system. Now, this is also coming off the pitch clock rule that got implemented this year, which seems to be so far a success, but it'll be really interesting to see how that pitch clock is affected during the playoffs when you know the game slowed down and every single pitch matters. 
um, how they really assess the pitch clock and the pitch clock rules. But Robot Ums not here quite yet. It seems like they'll be in Major League Baseball in the next couple of seasons. I'm okay with that. I don't need Robot. I don't need Robo Umps. I'm all right with having uh, real umpires out there. I've been on record with that. Number four story. Number four. We talked about this a little bit. As I said, I want him out of my life. But Antonio Brown and the National Arena <laughs> League, they have kicked out the Albany Empire out of the league today after the owner, team owner Antonio Brown failed to pay either a required fee or a fine he received after public comments. The board of owners decided unanimously to determine the membership of the Albany Empire. The league said in a release, the decision was reached after an emergency conference call of the members in good standing to discuss the Empire's failure to pay their league-mandated and overdue assessments. Antonio Brown, he became the majority owner of the upstate New York team back in April, just decided not to pay uh, the league. The, the league said Brown made the April payment, mm. but didn't pay the May 15th installment or an $1,000 fine for conduct detrimental to the league. Brown also challenged the April payment as well, which was then credited back to him. So he just decided not to pay anything of the operating budget uh, for the NAL. So they kicked him out of the league. The I would have told the owners, you know, I remember years ago, Blazers Media Day, Darius Miles came into training camp and uh, said he had turned over a new leaf. I think he got married. Turned over a new leaf. I had a, uh, a uh, friend of mine who's a psychologist. I said, hey, D. Miles turned over a new leaf. We had her on the show and she said, the greatest predictor of future behavior is past behavior. Antonio Brown, because he became an owner, didn't necessarily mean he was going to all of a sudden start acting rationally. He's still Antonio Brown. Darius Miles was still Darius Miles, wedding ring on or not. Number five. Number five, and this uh, this is the guy you wanted out, Conor McGregor. Yeah, no had, way. He had, a, he had a big game four of the NBA Finals, John. <laughs> we talk, uh, the oh, incident man. where he punched the mascot, sent him to the hospital. Now McGregor mm-hmm. is accused of sexual assault at that game four of the finals. Uh, the lady's attorney, Ariel Mitchell, she alleged that McGregor violently sexually assaulted the woman inside of a men's bathroom. And security refused to let the woman exit or allow anyone else in, including her friends inside the bathroom. McGregor then allegedly emerged from inside of a handicapped stall, shoved his tongue in the victim's mouth and aggressively kissed her. The letter that they sent out had just some more graphic details as well. You go check that out on the internet if you would like to. Uh, but, of course, McGregor and his camp, they're saying the allegations are false, according to TNC. Yeah. And uh, the thing about it is McGregor, he just announced a day before that game four on Live with Kelly and Mark that he and his fiance, Dee Devlin, mm. have, who have been together since 2008, were expecting their fourth child. Conor McGregor says a lot of things. Here he is with Stephen A. Smith. And I'm a dangerous man, Stephen. I'm the most dangerous of them all. You know what I mean? This, I have 19 knockouts in my mixed martial arts career. Saturday night, I will get my 20th. It'll be my 12th UFC main event. Only 32 years of age. Fresh, fresh as anything. I'm ready to go. So I'm going to prove how dangerous I am because, trust me, in the mindset I'm in, I'm really, really dangerous. This man is not... It's not going to be pretty what's going to happen to this man. Not going to be pretty. I'm coming in to kill this man. I'm coming in with vicious intent here. Murder shots. So what else can I say? That's that's the way it is. I don't care about nothing here. I'm coming to take this man out cold. There it is. Is, uh, it, just, is I, it just the nature of the sport that he's in? Or is it just, you know, part of it? Part of it. He's also within the sport. I think he's a bit of a extremist. He's just a crazy person. I think he's an extremist. And, and, and who knows? You know, he... Uh, I don't know. I mean, it's, not, it's, not the, it's not the first time that this kind of stuff has come up with no. Conor McGregor. So it's you know, it's go not, away. Yeah, just go away. I mean, 
I when he fought Floyd Mayweather, I remember it was just so weird. It's just like I hate both of these people as people. Like they're both bad dudes. Like wh- why, you know, why are we watching this? Why are we celebrating this? It's just there's certain go aways that are like you know I got a little weary with Tim Tebow. Didn't want to see the stories about how great Tebow, how wonderful he is all the time. Just go away. Want the story to go away. Jer- you know Jeremy Lin, Lin Sanity. Okay, it was it's a cute, it's a good story, but he's not a better player than like you know half the guards. You know, starting at that position in the league, you know, just go away. It's being overhyped. But Conor McGregor, UFC, former UFC champion in two weight classes, he's just kind of run his course. And now the stuff that he's doing is not, uh, you know, it's not positively adding to society. You know, even if even if it true, it turns out that it's true that you know. He didn't commit a sex assault in a restroom after Game 4 of the NBA Finals. All he did that night was punch the mascot a couple of times and send him to the hospital. He still needs to go away. And I'm going to leave it at that. That's the 5 at 5. Good mix of stories there. I like that. I like that you got all over the board uh, with uh, Conor McGregor and others. Um, You know, it's funny because do you listen to a lot of national radio because you know you're in the station we have the dan patrick show on the station and jim rome and and maggie and perloff do you listen to those shows or are you kind of working and not really hearing it uh i i I tend to kind of work and not listen to it if i'm honest okay so i hear the shoulder programming tv shows i try intentionally to not listen to too much radio myself and and I grew up listening to a lot of radio as a kid. I'm making a confession. A lot of radio as a kid. Transistor radio under my pillow. Giants playing night games. Hank Greenwald, uh, Greenwald on the call. Ron Fairley later. Um, KNBR in San Francisco was my station. I would listen to that. I would listen to also KGO, Bill Wattenberg, and others on Sunday nights. They did a, he did like a, a show about science and uh, engineering, and it was just fascinating to me to, to get smarter by listening to the radio. Um, I intentionally will go out of my way not to hear other shows now because I don't want my show to sound like their shows. So I miss out. I'm not saying you should do that. I'm saying that's what I do because in the course of my day, I'm writing, I'm prepping, and I want my show to be unique. But I do happen to have the TV on, and so I catch kind of the shoulder programming of ESPN and Fox and other stations that are talking all the time. Uh, a lot of these hosts do have a just-go-away vibe to them. But what I find frequently in their in their diatribe, and I've even witnessed it firsthand, and I can, I'll can i just give you a couple anecdotes. One, I did host on FS1 uh, on uh, some of their shoulder programming, you know, that, that was one summer where they had guest hosts coming in. I came in and I sat with Gabe Kapler and Andy Roddick and – and we did kind of a panel show, and I was kind of the, the radio newspaper guy that was on their panel. And it was really interesting to me to be in on the production, the pre-show meetings, because it was a lot of talking about, hey, here's what Gabe's going to say. Here's what Andy's going to say. John, what are you going to say? Everybody wanted to know what everybody else is going to say. And I was like, this isn't this is rehearsed. Like, it wasn't scripted, but it was kind of loosely laid out like here's your position they were trying to find things we disagreed on and they wanted it to go on air and the other thing they wanted to do is they wanted to talk about the la market 
quite often. And they wanted to talk about teams in large markets. And that's all that came up in the production meeting. Um, another time I hosted the Dan, I guest hosted the Dan Patrick show. And right before I went on air, you know, they got in my ear. They said, make sure you talk about Los Angeles. LA is an important market in the network or whatever. It wasn't Dan Patrick's people. It was kind of the network talking about it. Stephen, do you find that? Do you find like the Damian Lillard to Miami, Damian Lillard to New York, Damian Lillard to the, the Lakers? Isn't it really just national TV show hosts saying, hey, we need to talk about major markets? Yeah, I do think so. But I also would say this. Especially when it comes to basketball, you look at those major markets, those teams have been known to not necessarily invest in the draft and not try to build their teams through the draft. It is through yeah. trades and free agency. Like you look at New York, they went out and they signed Jalen Brunson. It's not like they drafted him. You look at Miami, they went out and they signed Jimmy Butler. Like that's how they do it. They they get their stars by trading or signing for them. So I, I think it's a little bit of both, but I do think ultimately, yeah, like the TV networks, they want to give little shout-outs to the bigger markets, so they're going to say, hey, this guy from the smaller market, we, we should put him in the bigger market. He's going to be even bigger. So that just goes against you know, Portland fans and Dame. Uh, you know, If he makes any type of comment, it's going to be, well, yeah, the bigger market needs him. I think they're, they go, uh, they talk free agency or build with free agency because they can, and I think it's, I think it's a lot easier to build in free agency because – you're getting more experienced players. You're, but it's a speculative crapshoot in the draft, and t a team like, like that's what makes what Denver just did all that much more impressive. They built through the draft. Their tent poles came to them through the draft. They didn't trade those picks. They didn't grab you know Kevin Durant via free agency. James Harden didn't pick them. This was a franchise that built through the draft and stuck with Mike Malone. Uh, even when they didn't get great results, the Blazers knocked him out of the playoffs a couple few years ago, and they stayed with him. But going back to like those TV shows, you're talking about how it's it's rehearsed yeah. a little bit. It is. Can't can't people can't people notice that it is rehearsed and it's not authentic? I don't know. Like I think, do, you think people notice? I don't know. I want to say yeah, and maybe it's just because you know maybe I'm in the business now, so I understand how authentic it can be. But it's like. You know, you work with some people and they want to rehearse everything. They want to know all your takes, and some people want to know literally nothing. Like you, you know, we don't really talk about our takes before the show unless we have no. like, a, unless I have something to tell you. Like I was like, yeah, I'm really hot on this. I go out of my way not to talk to you guys. Yeah, that's the thing. I don't want to talk to you. I, I, no, but I, uh, but I don't. I have often said like, I've often said to people, I don't want to, I don't want to have this conversation off air. Because I want the first time that I'm having it to be real. Yeah, and I think I think you see the good shows in this show like this. It's like you see the authenticity of it where I feel like all these shows on TV and a lot of these national shows are just so rehearsed. And it just it's, it drives me nuts. So that's why, like, when you ask me, am I listening to these shows? It's like, not really, because I don't really take what they're saying seriously. I think they're just doing it just to say it. I uh, agree with that. I also know when I watch these other shows... I do see a lot of the um, I do see a lot of uh, orchestration of hey why don't you say this um, I'll even I'll even go this far so I did KGW TV on Sports Sundays I did it for like eleven years and I love doing it I love the people I worked with I love Joe Becker who was on there for years and before that uh, you know Adam Bjornsson and Ron Pivo and of course Orlando Sanchez who's still there and Art Edwards uh, great people great people talented people know what the hell they're doing. Um, you know, one disagreement I had 
was with Joey Harrington when I was on there, and I like Joey. I've had him on this show. Joey and I have disagreed on things. We've agreed on things. But Joey was from that world where he was doing, you know, college football broadcasting and studio shows and doing play, you know, analyst work in that world where everything was kind of orchestrated and produced to an extent. And I can remember sometimes where Joey would be like, before the show, what are you going to say about that? And I go, I don't want to tell you. And he was a little uncomfortable with it, and you could probably tell on air. But I didn't want to know what he thought, and I didn't want him to know what I thought because the first time it went on air, I wanted it to be real. And I think it's better that way. And I'm okay having, you know, no teleprompter and just put a clock up there. And, you know, we'll see what happens. I just think it's better TV, and I think it's better radio, and it's more intimate. And I think Joey got there. And I liked working with him, but I also think that, you know, it was not what he was used to. It wasn't comfortable because he was coming from a world where they would all sit around and go, okay, here's what I'm going to say. Here's what you're going to say. Keep that in mind. When you're watching whoever comes after Shannon Sharp with Skip Bayless and Stephen A. Smith and J.J. Reddick, there's a meeting they're having before that show. They all, they're not surprising each other with any of those takes. Leave it here. You got the BFT. I've got two pairs of tickets to see the St. Paul Rodeo. You don't have to be in the rodeo. I thought that was pretty funny uh, a couple weeks ago. Was it a couple weeks ago? We had the uh, question, and, uh, you know, the lady called in. She didn't know the exact answer, and we gave her the rodeo tickets. And then when she called in, I said, have you ever been in a rodeo? And she, there was this awkward silence. I just I just died. And I said, no, you don't have to be in the rodeo. I got two pairs of tickets. Do you want to go to the rodeo? Callers number two and callers number four at 503-417-7575 will get uh, a pair of tickets to the St. Paul Rodeo. Go check it out. Go see it. Roping, bull riding, all that. It's a rodeo. All you have to do is call in now. Caller number two and caller number four get the tickets. Have you ever been to a rodeo, Stephen? Have you been to anything like that? Um, I have not, no. You've been I, to bull riding? I, no, I should. I'm, I'm more of a city boy, so I've, you know, I've never really ventured out like that. The uh, you can see bull riding at like Moda Center, okay? You know, it's not <laughs> like you're I? venturing out. That uh, you know, I went to the uh, the pro uh, bull riding association, whatever it is. The event PBR. was at the PBR at Moda Center just this last time it was there. The kids went. It was pretty awesome. Number one, it was awesome to see that they brought in that much dirt, and it still had like. The 77 Blazers retired jerseys are hanging up above everything. It was just surreal to kind of see that scene and then bulls and then, you know, some of the younger bull riders were baby-faced and then some of the guys that you could tell had been out there, they had been riding for a while. Did you have, like, uh, you have a cowboy hat on? They were walking funny. I did not wear a cowboy hat. I dressed normal. and uh, But the crowd was interesting because, like, there were a couple people – that wore like fur coats, hmm. and this was this was a big deal. The rodeo was in town, and you know this was the this was happening, and it was just interesting to kind of see the crowd and watch and people watch. And then, you know, I did grow up mildly rural in that my parents played farmers, and they weren't really farmers. You know, we only had an acre. Now, I tell people we had uh, we had lambs, we had pigs, we had a steer, we had horses, we had rabbits, we had chickens. We had, and they're like, what would you have, 100 acres? I'm like, no, we had one acre. We just never had those things mostly all at the same time. 
it kind of rotated over 15 years. Like one year we had a steer. And my sister had a horse for like two or three years. And, you know, I had pigs, but they didn't take up much of an acre. And my sister had lambs. And, you know, so we, we played farmer. So I had seen the rodeo and hung out with kids who were more country than I was. And they had generational country to them. And they had, uh, you know, grown up breaking horses and doing all that stuff. So I knew those kids. But the cool thing is, you know, there are different kinds of rodeos. And depending on, like, I was in Jackson, Wyoming one time. We were going to see Yellowstone. Anna and I were there, and they were having their rodeo. And we were like, let's go to the rodeo. Well, their rodeo included an event that was for the community that was essentially teams of three that were charged with grabbing a pig that was released into a muddy pen in the center of the rodeo arena, and they were timed on how quickly they could pick, catch the pig, pick it up, and put it in a barrel that was at the center of the mud pit. Some of them worked as a team and got that pig in 90 seconds and put it in the barrel. Others uh, were highly entertaining and, you know, like a greased pig being released in an, in an arena. And it was interesting to watch. And I thought, you know, who thought of this game? Who was sitting around on what ranch with nothing to do? And thought about this game. I don't know if there's anything that I would be worse at than something like that. <laughs> like I, I, I fully know that how I would just be absolutely terrible at like catching a pig like that. These rodeo guys that ride the bulls, that it's a different level of crazy. And the bull riders, we got to get a bull rider on the show at some point when they come back on, when they come back around to Portland. Yeah, we got to get one of these bull riders on the show because these bulls can wreck you. You know, in a that has got to hurt you way, and they can hurt you in a hey, like they, you can be seriously injured. You have to be a little crazy to to uh, willingly climb aboard a fifteen hundred pound bull that is going to be set into motion with one objective: getting you off. And and good luck. Stay mounted and see how many seconds you can stay on. The most dangerous eight seconds in sports. You gotta be a yeah. You gotta have a different mindset, right? Like you gotta get yourself into that mindset of saying, "You know, what? I'm this confident in myself that I can stay on for eight seconds and not die." Because some of the cowboys, like they're they've got skills, like their skill positions within the rodeo. You know, the guy who is like roping, that is a that's a skill, right? To be on the horse, to uh, have the rope skills in motion. Trying to you know rope the back legs of a you know a steer or a bull that is moving and unpredictable, and they can do it with incredible accuracy. And like you just look at it and you're like, that's not that much different than like Rory McIlroy hitting like a you know a, a seven iron. Okay, so I get it. Like there's skill in there, but the bull riders there's technique and it's a blend of technique and insanity. And good luck. And and you have to have a short memory, too, because some of these guys, you watch them ride, like they'll have a horrendous fall. And then 20 minutes later, they're back on for their second ride. And you're going like, Why, how is that person even psychologically ready to do this? Like you, you wouldn't see that like a skier, downhill skier in the men's alpine downhill for the Olympics could have a horrific accident. And you would go. You know, they they may never ski again. 
But the bull riders, they get right back on the bull. Well, you see that in other sports too, where like someone has a serious injury and it takes them years before they get comfortable of you know actually going out there and giving it you know one hundred percent out there. They just you know hesitant. John Branch, the New York Times friend of mine, wrote a book called The Last Cowboys. It's about a rodeo family. And, you know, I would encourage people to read that book if you are interested in the rodeo because Branch captured it. And he sort of captured the, the uh, you know, the, I guess the genealogy of it in that it's generational from family member to family member and, and you go down. When you think about basketball in your family, Vaughn, let me ask you this. Like, your kids are going to play hoops. You played hoops. Did you get it? Did your parents, grandparents, did is is this what your family's always done? Um, no, not necessarily. My dad, my dad has three brothers, and he was the only one to play varsity basketball, as far as I understand, uh, in high school. And he, even he would admit that he didn't play very much, if at all, uh, in high school. So, kind of like me and my brother were the first ones to really, you know, make it to that level. Then I was the first one to make it to the college level, definitely. Um, and then, like, out of all my cousins, I was one of the younger ones, and I was the first one to finish college. Uh, like, my uncle, I have some uncles that finished college and stuff like that, but I was kind of the first uh, first one to do that type of stuff. It's interesting that rodeo families, you know, they do this when they, when they uh, you know, it's generational. Like, this is what the family does. And to the point where, like, I looked around the Moda Center for the event, I was there as kind of a casual onlooker, right? Curiosity, let the kids see some cowboys, let, you know, the bulls are going to ride and the kids can see an animal up close for the first time and they were fascinated by it. But you got the, I got the impression that there were a lot of families that were farming families from across the state of Oregon who were coming, you know, to the, to the bull riding event at Moda Center because, um, you know, this is what they do and this is what they're interested in. And I think that's fascinating. That's good for you. Yeah, no, thank you. And and I think you know, bull riding is one of those things where it's it's hard if you're not really a part of that family to to join, right? Like I I don't I can't imagine just my son one day waking up and be like, you know what, I want to be a bull rider because it's like there's been no, you know, we've never shown him that. And I think it's one of those things. It's kind of like uh, even with golf and you've been on a mechanical bull. Oh no, no, <laughs> that's. Just not, it's not my thing. It's just not my thing, John. I know I'd be bad at it. You know, I, you know, it's just not, not for me. Not what you do. You get, no. You're gonna get yourself hurt. Uh, Turk one eighty two is called in. He's on line one. Turk, welcome to the show. Hey, listen, you're the man. So man up and get a real dog. You said you had two <laughs> dogs. What's the other dog? Because I got a real dog. It's a. I'm at uh, the right now with the dog. It, it's a sheep a doodle. <laughs> God, that makes me sad. <laughs> that really just breaks my heart. Yeah, I got a boxer. I mean, you, you get, you, come on. Do we, can I ask you a question, Kelly, box, boxer guy? Kelly? Hey, <laughs> you think Edna Lee Kelly would have said, "Yeah, go ahead, get a rat right. terrier." All no. right, let me let me no, ask no, you no, something. No, no. Let me ask you something. You got a yes, boxer. Sir. You go to a yes, dog sir. park with a boxer. Are people afraid of your dog when they first see it because? <laughs> You know, it has that. Boxers do have that look. I know they're not they're not pit bulls, but sometimes people look at a boxer and they go, ah, "I'm not comfortable with this dog." Well, I'll tell you what. I'm going to answer that question, and then I got a question for you. Nothing yeah. about dogs. No, I I rarely take them to a dog park because if there's dogs there that aren't neutered, my dog will spend like 20 seconds, and then he'll just slow her down, and it's like, nah, I don't need a vet bill. <laughs> let's let's just eliminate that. I take them to okay. the beach. 
I take him up and to this other place. We chase squirrels, and he has a good time. So you, you, wait, you we chase squirrels? Do you chase the squirrels, too? Oh, no. I sit down and watch. Okay. What's your we question? And then i got to move on. What's your week? question? Uh, so on Monday, you had the subject of your favorite sports call ever. Yeah. And I love it when you do stuff like that. Maybe you've done this in the past. If you have, hang up on me. But favorite sports movie and best sports movie of all time. Okay. And I got what? my two. So. Okay. Go ahead. What are your two? Uh, well, so you don't you don't have to call back. Just give me your two. I know, I know, but I I think my favorite and the best are the same. But I'll go I'll go. My second favorite is Hoosiers. Okay. Heck of a movie. I think the, the best one is the first Rocky movie. Maybe you go Raging Bull. But I'd like to hear what you have to say. I I wonder if the first Rocky movie is a sports movie. It's more of a drama with boxing going on in it, isn't it? Yeah, but it's beautiful. It's beautiful. I mean, who cares how much boxing is going on? It's a heck of a story. He walked around with that script for 10 years, and they wanted Henry Winkler to play the part. Nothing against Henry Winkler. The phones is cool, but come on. The phones ain't going to be a heavyweight. He's going to be a middleweight at best. All right, I'm going to throw your question out, uh, Turk, to the listeners. Best sports movie slash favorite sports movie. I'll give mine after the break. The number is 503-417-7575. I tweeted about this earlier, but I want you to know, in case you're not on Twitter, that I'm hearing some strong positive indications on Portland's WNBA front. Uh, a spokesperson for... U.S. Senator Ron Wyden told me this morning that the senator is being told by involved parties that Portland is making good progress on getting a WNBA team. I expect Portland to get a WNBA team. I think that's coming down the pipeline, and I think uh, uh, that is an indication. Uh, that, you know, I got some indications of that this morning. I want to know your favorite sports movie, your best sports movie. I, you know, I understand the caller. Turk, who calls in from California, likes the Rocky movie. I saw the Rocky movie in the theaters. I'm old enough to have seen Rocky. I was a kid. I came out of that movie theater shadow boxing. So I do think it is a sports movie. But I also, as I rewatch it as an adult, see it more as a drama. It's got a little, you know, you know, it's got all that in it. You know, it's it's more of a drama with sports going on in the background. But uh, what are the other big sports movies? He brought up Hoosiers. I am, I am uh, predisposed to baseball movies. You know, I like Bull, Bull Durham, Eight Men Out, good movie. The Natural, great movie. Uh, Major League, a little sillier twist, but still a good movie. What about you? 503-417-7575. Peter is in Vancouver. Peter, welcome to the conversation. Hey, thank you, John. What do you got? I... Actually, you just said it. Um, I was going to say Major League as a joke, but then I was thinking, well, the natural. It's so much oh, yeah. like the Oakland, well, the we're Oakland is. <laughs> oh, so sad. Uh, but it has that whole, like, front office doesn't want to do anything, wants them to fail. And the players yep. are like, no, actually, no, that's not what we want to do. Yeah. We're not going to tank it. Yeah, Major and League. I think the natural, the yeah. natural is a drama as well, but it has so much heart. It really it's, it's a magical baseball movie. Yep. And Robert Redford, come on. And and Wonderboy yeah. the Bat. The Bat's got a name. Wonderboy? Come on. 
Uh, Major League has got some great scenes in it and got great characters in it. And every time we do this kind of, hey, give us your, mo- your movie thing, Major League comes up. You have uh, financial problems? I can put you onto a great investment guy. No, uh, I don't have much of a portfolio right now. But, you know, what I was concerned about was uh, why you didn't come up with that grounder that Riker hit in the ninth. It was out of my reach. What do you want me to do, die for it? Raj, could have meant the game. Year after this, I go free agent. Plus, my agent and I got a couple of plans for life after baseball. So I'm not about to risk major injury or to face this property for a collection of stiffs. Boom. Major League. Bull Durham's got some great scenes in it, too. You've got, like, Costner. You also have a uh, really underrated performance by the manager and the assistant manager and kind of the front office people in Bull Durham. Everybody in the shower! Anybody in the shower in 10 seconds going to get fired $100! One Mississippi, two Mississippi, three Mississippi, four Mississippi, five Mississippi, six Mississippi, seven Mississippi, eight Mississippi, nine Mississippi, ten Mississippi. You guys, you lollygagged the ball around the empties. You lollygagged your way down to first. You lollygagged in and out of the dugout. Do you know what that makes you, Larry? Lollygaggers. Lollygaggers. What's our record, Larry? Eight and sixteen? Eight and sixteen. How'd we ever win eight? It's a miracle. It's a miracle. This is a simple game. You throw the ball. You hit the ball. Starting tomorrow. Let's leave six in the morning. Lollygaggers. I love that. Steven, your sports movie. Uh, my favorite sports movie is Major League. That, that is my all-time favorite sports movie. Uh, but after that, I really enjoy White Men Can't Jump. Um, mm. I know they made the they made a new one with newer. Did the new, new one I, deliver or no? I, I didn't watch it. I, I just don't want to. I know it's going to be bad. And it can't it can't live up to what the original was. The original is just so good. Um, I do love that. Blue Chips is also a good one that I really like. Although yes. my co- my college coach uh, told me he hates Blue Chips because of all just the you know the cheating and the stuff that goes on, and he just hates that part of it. Uh, so that, I like that movie. I also like Above the Rim. That's a good one too. It's an old one. And then the, refresh me on Above the Rim. Uh, Above the Rim has Tupac in it. It has uh, Leon in it. It's basically like this high school kid. Uh, he's gonna join a gang, and so he joins a you know play, plays high school basketball, and they have this big street tournament, and then he's in it. That's a good Love one. That. And then uh, the program is another good one. Oh, good, good picks, good picks. I like to, I, you know, he mentioned Hoosiers. The caller mentioned Hoosiers. I I think Gene Hackman and Dennis Hopper, fantastic. If you put your effort and concentration into playing to your potential to be the best that you can be, I don't care what the scoreboard says. At the end of the game, in my book, we're gonna be winners. Okay. We haven't talked about Field of Dreams, and I find that the movie um, ends up being a little polarizing in this conversation because some people love Field of Dreams and some people don't love Field of Dreams. 
Where do you stand on the thumbs up, thumbs down on Field of Dreams? I would give it a thumbs up. Um, it's not, it's not my favorite, but it's not. I don't say I don't think it's a bad movie. I, I, there's some good feelings in it where you know, playing catch with your dad type of thing. Yeah. Like that. Right. Like that is awesome, and I love that part. You know, I you know my dad coached me playing baseball growing up, so you always have that. And I think I think the atmosphere of just the field and the cornfields. I think that's like cooler. The the thought of that is cooler than the actual movie. If that yes. makes sense. Yeah, yeah, that's why. In, in but I love too from the history of baseball, like seeing players that were coming out of the cornfield, that were old time players that like people had forgotten about, in imagining what they would look like in today's era. And I love the scene in Field of Dreams where, you know, basically Kevin Costner sounds like a crazy person because he's trying to go and get, you know, people to understand and believe that there is actually baseball being played in the middle of this cornfield and. It's the scene where he gets, uh, he tracks and takes um, the character played by James Earl Jones to the ballpark, and uh, and uh, you know Costner asks uh, James Earl Jones, they're standing by the concession stand. And he says, "What do you want?" And he means like, "What do you want to order?" And James Earl Jones <laughs> thinks he's asking him like, "What he wants in life?" And he's like, "I want people to start thinking for themselves. I want people to leave me alone. I want people." He's like, "No, what do you want? Like a hot oh dog and a beer." And, and it's just such a simple moment, but I, I thought it was great. And then just this, the moment where James Earl Jones, like we've all had wild ideas that are crazy. And maybe the idea that you come up with is in your own household, in your own living room, and your family's looking at you like you're a crazy person and, you know, let's drive to the Grand Canyon. And they're looking at you like, what? Well, it's the moment where James Earl Jones' character gets what Costner's character is trying to sell him. And he's like, you know what? People will come. Ray. People will come, Ray. They'll come to Iowa for reasons they can't even fathom. They'll turn up your driveway, not knowing for sure why they're doing it. They'll arrive at your door as innocent as children, longing for the past. Of course, we won't mind if you look around, you'll say. It's only $20 per person. They'll pass over the money without even thinking about it. For it is money they have and peace they like. The money they have and peace they like. Uh, how about Talladega Nights? Bruce in Portland suggesting Talladega Nights. Uh, Mitch suggesting that he uh, says the caller earlier that came on after him uh, nailed the natural and the A's correlation. The A's issued a statement just a few years ago, a few minutes ago, the Oakland A's, basically saying that the mayor in Las Vegas has signed off, the governor has signed off on the proposal that would uh, fund the stadium in Las Vegas. The A's have this big news release, and there's nothing in it that gives a nod to the fans in Oakland and the 55 years that they're about to throw away moving to Vegas. I think it's just really tone deaf. From the A's, and, and from that standpoint, yeah, you get it. Is Talladega Nights a good movie? Do you uh, like Talladega Nights? I, I will say this. I've never seen it. Okay. So, now you got to go see it. Yeah. Or you got to rent it. Come what's on. the uh, What's the basketball one with Will Ferrell? Uh, I can't think what it's called. I know it's Jackie Moon. Oh. Um, Hold on. I'm going to look it up right now. Yeah. I, I probably should. Like that movie, that movie is pretty funny. Semi-pro. Semi-pro, yeah, that's right. It's yeah. pretty funny. Movie. Will Ferrell just does anything right, you know? By the way, I've, I've uh, started watching the Bill Walton documentary, the 30 for 30 four-part series. Yeah, and for uh, those of you who finished it, 
It's fantastic. We had a caller that uh, submitted The Replacements mm-hmm. as a movie. Okay. Yeah. I'll go with that. Uh, I appreciate everybody who makes this radio show part of their day. I know some of you are stuck in traffic today. I hope we made it seem uh, a little more bearable. Uh, for those of you who are uh, interested, we've got another show tomorrow. If you enjoyed it, tune back in tomorrow, 3 to 6 p.m., or stream it wherever you may be. Uh, the Bald Face Truth is not here for a long time, just a good time. If you want to read me, you can read me now exclusively at johnconzano.com. We are going to dive deep in the coming weeks on college football, but in the next week we'll also do a lot more on the NBA draft. Tom Crean, who was on yesterday's show, Texted me after the show, said he wants to come back on next week to talk about the draft. How about that?